This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate, which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Here comes Dynamics by the Sky Commander. The Oxley entry is 1-2 in deep stretch. It'll be a civil war between those two. Dynamics Sky, very impressively, three parts of the link. Three quarters in one thirteen. Princess of Silmar is now coming on through towards the rail. Here's Princess of Silmar to take the lead with a furlong to the finish. Princess of Silmar in front by three. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Castellano now shakes the reins at Starship Jubilee. The response was instant, and she goes on with it to lead by three. Down the center, beautiful to the lover, charging hard in between horses. That's about to recover. Bottle eighth of a mile. She's just too much mare. She's Starship Jubilee, and she's a wrapped-up winner of the Sunshine Millions, Philly and Mare Turf. California Chrome striding away impressively up front. California Chrome down the center. It's Tamarando. But it's all California Chrome. They would need to sprout wings to get to him. California Chrome and Victor Espinosa romp in the California Cup Derby. Now, here's Mike Penna. Good morning once again, everyone, and welcome to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. This is the show that launched a network, and it is all right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you spending your Saturday morning with me on Sirius 162, XM 207, our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, and streaming worldwide and podcast on our HRRN website or wherever you access your podcast and that website address, horseracingradio.net. Beginning next Saturday, we embark upon a stretch of nine consecutive weekends, all showcasing Kentucky Derby points races. But that doesn't mean we're not going to see a potential Derby starter or maybe a couple of Derby starters on this second weekend in January with some of the three-year-old races. Going to talk more about that in just a minute. But before we get to all the horse racing conversation here this morning, the NFL playoffs begin this weekend, and that can mean only one thing. Yes, the road to the Super Bowl, the seventh Super Bowl title in Steelers history, will begin tomorrow for my beloved Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, look, I can promise you there will be no Buffalo Wings, no Beef on Weck, and no Buffalo Pizza at the Barons Watch Party tomorrow afternoon. But there's going to be plenty of Pittsburgh salad topped with French fries. Couldn't believe the first time I had one of those. Pierogies. And if you, if you can't, if I can somehow find a way to have them overnighted, going to have some Pittsburgher sandwiches from Primani Brothers. And just for my producer, who is a native of the Steel City, I'm even going to throw in the Franco and the Roethlisberger from Pepe's because I know he's a huge fan. And I'm going to wash it all down with some Iron City beer. 
and I usually wait until the end of the show to say this, but the heck with it. I'm going to say it now, too. Go Steelers. Coming up at 940 Eastern, NTRA CEO Tom Rooney, yes, of that Rooney family. Tom is going to be with me. I'm pretty sure we'll touch on the the Steelers-Bills game for just a minute or two, but we're also going to spend a lot of time talking about what's coming up in 2024 with the NTRA. What types of initiatives is that organization going to be working on here in the new year? And we'll talk about the Eclipse Awards. We'll talk about the NHC, all of the things that NTRA is involved with each and every year, and I'll do that again, 940 Eastern, when I welcome Tom Rooney to the program. Well, today's Pasco Stakes at Tampa Bay Downs doesn't offer any points toward a spot in the starting gate on the first Saturday in May, but it's certainly not out of the question that we could see a Kentucky Derby starter among the seven entrants in today's edition. Since 2009, the Pasco has sent five starters to the Kentucky Derby. You had two of them, actually, in 2009. You had the winner of the Pasco Stakes, Musket Man, who then went on to finish third in the Kentucky Derby. That's the best finish of any Pasco starter. You also had General Quarters, who was second in the Pasco that year, ends up finishing 10th in the Kentucky Derby. Perspective, a winner of the Pasco in 2012. You had Harry's Holiday, and you had Win, 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 the most recent horse to run in the Pasco and then go on and compete in the Kentucky Derby. That was in 2019. Musket Man was trained by Derek Ryan. Derek Ryan is back in the spotlight at Tampa Bay Downs again today with Bookham Dano, who is a really talented runner. Son of Bucaro, who was a top sprinter, but out of a ghost sapper mare. Now, Bookham Dano's three career victories, which he earned in succession to begin his career. His first three starts, he won them all. They were all in sprint races, and he really wasn't even challenged. They stretched him out to a mile on November 5th at Aqueduct in the Nashua Stakes. He ends up finishing second, ran a game race. He's second, beaten just three quarters of a length. His numbers stack up really well with this field. As a matter of fact, I think he, from a numbers perspective, I think Bookham Dano stands out incredibly well. I think he's the horse to beat from a class perspective and certainly from a numbers perspective. The question for Bookham Dano, this is seven-eighths of a mile, should handle it just fine. So if he handles his new surroundings at Tampa Bay Downs, which you look at his workout pattern, there's no reason to think that he wouldn't. Three to two on the morning line could be could be decent value because of the fact that you have West Saratoga in there, who is nine to five on the morning line for trainer Larry Demerit. West Saratoga is a great stakes winner. Won the grade three Iroquois. Bookham Dano can't say that. Won the grade three Iroquois at Churchill on September 16th. Went to the Breeders' Cup, ran in the Breeders' Cup Futurity. Or excuse me, the Breeders' Futurity at Keeneland, not the Breeders' Cup, the Breeders' Futurity at Keeneland. Goes to Keeneland to the Breeders' Futurity, ends up finishing fifth that day. Much tougher spot. Had to square off against Locke, who was one of the top now three-year-olds in the country going in here to 2024. 
But he was in contention for a while there before he backed up and faded. Bookham Dano is going to be his main competition in here. And the story behind West Saratoga is really cool. Trained by Larry Demerit, purchased for just $11,000. He's already earned almost $300,000 for his career. He's run seven times, two wins, three seconds, and then that win in the grade three Iroquois, his signature victory so far. His two best races, at least his winning races, have come at a mile. Again, this is seven-eighths of a mile. It is, it is not the ultimate goal for West Saratoga. The Pasco Stakes, yes, it's a great starting point. It's a good stepping stone for all of these horses. This is not the ultimate goal, obviously. But the story of Larry Demerit, native of the Bahamas, after West Saratoga won the Iroquois, he was quoted as saying that, talking about the $11,000 purchase price of West Saratoga and then winning the Iroquois, he said, I have a champagne taste on a, with a beer budget. And that's, that sums it up. Larry Demerit has not had a whole bunch of chances to compete on this level throughout his career. The Iroquois was just his second career greatest stakes win. So it's really cool to see Larry and, and to see Derek Ryan coming back to this race, having won it again with Musket Man in 2009 and then third in the Kentucky Derby. So I bring this up because those are the two favorites in that race today. And Derek Ryan is going to be with me at 9 o'clock Eastern to kick off hour number two. Larry is going to follow him at 920. So you're going to hear from both of the major players, the connections of both major players in that Pasco Stakes today. Again, Tom Rooney coming up 940. Walker Hancock is going to be here in the first hour of the program as well. Walker, the president of Claiborne Farm, they announced last week that they are adding a new stallion to the roster. It is Annapolis, grade one winner. I'll get a chance to talk to him about the entire stallion roster, but certainly Annapolis will spend plenty of time talking about the newcomer there and, and what they saw in Annapolis that made them want to stand Annapolis at historic Claiborne. 8.15 Eastern after this first commercial break, Sean Clancy is going to be with me. You know Sean from ST Publishing and the Saratoga Special. He's a longtime friend of mine, longtime colleague here on the, on the network. Sean was working with us here on HRN for, for many, many years. And Sean was honored with his second Eclipse Award this year. He'll receive that later this month in Florida at the ceremonies. And he's going to be here to talk about that second Eclipse award-winning story that focused on Maple Leaf Mel after the test. It focused on the reactions of Brendan Walsh, who was eventually awarded the victory with Pretty Mischievous, but it was not a reason for celebration by any stretch of the imagination. She was going to finish second behind Maple Leaf Mel until Maple Leaf Mel ended up falling before the wire. But Sean wrote a wonderful, wonderful story so good that it, it earned him his second Eclipse Award. So you're going to hear from him coming up at 8.15. So here's a quick recap of what's ahead here on the Equine Forum this morning. Sean at 8.15, Walker Hancock, 8.35, 9 o'clock, Derek Ryan, 9.20, Larry Demerit, 9.40, Tom Rooney, and at 10 o'clock, the Twin Spires triple play this week with Vance Hansen. He'll give you three races you can watch 
and wager on at Twin Spires later this afternoon. Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history at 1020. And at 1030, Dale Romans, Tim Wilkin are going to be with me to talk about the hottest topics in the game today. And one of the things I'm going to bring up to them, didn't get a chance to talk about this on the show last week because the Eclipse Award finalists for all the categories except for Horse of the Year were announced after we went off the air here on Equine Forum last Saturday morning. Javier Castellano, the man who won two-thirds of the Triple Crown, the Traverse Stakes, and other greatest stakes races this year, not even considered by the voters, completely left off the list of finalists, didn't make the top three. Mind-boggling to me. Mind-boggling to me that Javier Castellano would not make it. I voted for Javier as the champion jockey of 2023. I thought what he did and everything he had gone through leading up to that point to get back to that top level and what he accomplished last year was just incredible. And keep in mind, when you look at his triple crown, that run through the triple crown, winning two-thirds, the Derby with Mage, Archangelo winning the Belmont Stakes, he does it with two different horses. It's not like he had American Pharaoh and he was just better than everybody else. He had to do it with two different horses. And then to come back and win the Travers. And I, I thought he was very deserving of being among the finalists. Whether you agree with me or not that he should get the Eclipse Award over Arad Ortiz Jr., who is going to be the favorite. He is going to get the Eclipse Award. And he's very deserving. All three of the individuals are very Flavian Pratt, Tyler Gaffleone. All three of them are very deserving. But to have Javier Castellano after the year he had left off the list of finalists, to me is it's among the biggest snubs I've ever seen in the Eclipse Award votings. We'll see how this plays out this year, but boy, what a season for Javier Castellano. All right. Poll question for you this morning. You can go to at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook to weigh in. on. The, if you don't do social media, you can email the show too, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net. Which of today's three-year-old races is more likely to produce a Kentucky Derby starter? The Pasco Stakes at Tampa Bay Downs or the Cal Cup Derby at Santa Anita? That may sound like a wild one. But it is now the California Chrome Cal Cup Derby. Remember, he came through this race. Will we see a top Calbred come out of there that goes on to the Kentucky Derby? So which of today's three-year-old races is more likely to produce a Kentucky Derby starter? You can go vote for either the Pasco Stakes or the Cal Cup Derby. You can do it at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. And if you don't do social media, email the show, Mike, at HorseRacingRadio.net and let me know which one you feel is more likely to do so. When I come back, Sean Clancy talks about his Eclipse Award-winning story. That is next. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. 
Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile, the grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. McTighe is next, followed by Awakened. It's wide open in the Jonathan Shepard, Jimmy P, Noah, and the Ark on the outside. McTighe splits those two. Down on the inside, Awakened is finishing very strongly. On the outside, McTighe coming toward the 16th. Awakened with a swift rally to the front. Jimmy P fights on McTighe on the outside. It's Awakened in front, close to home, and Awakened has won the grade one Jonathan Shepard. Jimmy P, valiant in defeat. McTighe was third, Merrymaker out of last into fourth. Well, what a year for my wonderful friend, Sean Clancy. That victory you just heard by Awakened in the Jonathan Shepard handicap occurred at Saratoga August 23rd of last year. It is a grade one victory for Sean's River D stables. Um, and to do it at Saratoga, which is a racetrack that has meant so much to him over the years, um, really had to be incredibly special. And that victory, by the way, occurred four days prior to the passing of the legendary Hall of Fame trainer, Jonathan Shepard, last year. And uh, a special moment for Sean. And more special moments would follow earlier this month when it was announced that Sean's article, which he wrote in the Saratoga special and on thisishorseracing.com, the worst test Pretty mischievous wins tragic renewal of the grade one test after Maple Leaf Mel had fallen. He wrote that story. He was honored with the second Eclipse Award. Huge season for him and uh, very, very deserving. And he's with us now here on HRRN. Dreamy One, what's up, brother? <laughs> Good morning, Mike. Uh, I like that race call. That uh, Yeah, that got my... Uh... Got my heart pounding already this morning. That was good. Yeah. Uh, what a, I mean, what a year. Let, let's start with that for just a minute. We'll get into the story and the Eclipse Award in just a moment. And by the way, congratulations on that, on that second Eclipse Award. But um, Awakened, winning the Jonathan Shepard. Jonathan Shepard, a wonderful friend of yours. Uh, it happens right before he passes away. Just walk me through the day, the emotions, and, and everything that was going through your mind. Well, I mean, look, as you know, and you said, Saratoga's the, that's where, I mean, that's, if it was one town, one place in my life that's, uh, that's, you know, quintessential at Saratoga. So for, to, to win there, to win that race on that day, um, look, it's, it's, 
that's as um, that's as big a moment, as high a moment as I've ever had in the sport. For for me personally, I'd you know one it was the New York Turf Riders Cup originally, and then they changed it to the to honor Jonathan Shepard. So. I won it once as a jockey in 1998, and then came back as an owner to win it again 25 years later. You, it's, it's pretty. You look at a span of time in your life, and you know really puts perspective on it. So, uh, it was a huge moment. It was. Uh, I was great. You know, I was thankful and grateful to share it with Jack Fisher and Tom Garner and um, Ten Strike Racing, Marshall Graham, and uh, great old friend Tim Malloy and Tom Law and my brother and my nephew Nolan. And you know, it's just. It was just a special day. That's one place where jumping, you know, steeplechasing really comes. That's that's one place where my worlds kind of have always um, meshed in that flat racing and jump racing. So uh, to do it there is just as special as it gets for sure. Not only will Curlin get you a grade one winner on the flats, he'll get you a grade <laughs> one winner on the jumps too. How good is that, Sire? Oh, uh, he's some star. I mean, I, it was funny. I watched, uh, you know, I'm always watching flat horses for looking for steeplechase prospects. So I had seen Awaken run several times, and I, I just always thought he looked like a jumper. He was staying on, kept galloping every time. And uh, he won going a mile and a quarter to Ellis Park the year. That was 2021, I guess. Yeah. And uh, Joe and Tom Law and I, we watched the race from Ellis in our box at Saratoga. Uh, and I, you know, I pointed at the TV one more time. I was like, that's a jumper, man. I love that horse. And then <laughs> Shug McGay he called me a few days later and said they'd sell him. So I uh, made the deal on him then. And um, yeah, he's just turned out to be, a, he's just a gem. He's, uh, I think he's very much like a curl and he's very, um, he just workmanlike. He's not real flashy, but he just, he just shows up every day, you know, and, and does his job. And, um, a lot of times that's what you need in steeplechasing a horse. It'll just go out and he just he never gets tired. He doesn't, you know, he just doesn't know when just to, to, you know, too there's, there's no too far as far as uh, awaken goes. And that's a lot of curling, just the pure stamina that he puts in the horses. And I think also the, the moxie that he puts into them, you know, they're tough. I mean, they just, they just try just like he did. For people that don't follow steeplechase racing on a regular basis, what happens now with many of the steeplechase horses that we saw over the summer and throughout the fall? Do they get a do they get a break? Is there an off season? How does this all work, Sean? Well, that's the great part about steeplechasing. We have a real season, so we 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 go from March to November and then uh, get a break. I mean, for horses and and humans, you get a big break, and it, it's actually it, it's, it's quite. Uh, you know, it's quite, uh, civilized, you know, you get to, you get to, you get to, yeah. you get to take a break. You don't have to get on the road and travel. I mean, we travel every weekend for the races, but we're not going year round, which makes a big difference. So Awaken ran and, um, he ran five times this year and his last race was at, uh, the international gold cup in mid October. And he's been basically turned out ever since. So he gets a big break. He comes in at night, but he's out all day. So he goes out at you know, six, seven o'clock in the morning. With a, I think he goes out with a couple friends. He might have be out with a, in a big field at Jack Fisher's farm in uh, in Maryland. About you know, about he's twenty minutes outside Timonium, I guess. And um, so he gets turned out all day, every day. And um, I'm actually going to see all the horses today, um, just for fun. And then they go back to work January fifteenth. So. Um, he will have, he will basically be off from October, November, December, January. He basically is off three months and that's just, 
um, living out all day, roughing it, uh, no hind shoes. Uh, I think he's probably got front shoes, but yeah, they just go out and have a, have a grand old time. He and, you know, snap decision and all those horses are, they just get turned out and let down and it's great mentally and physically for, for them. Visiting with Sean Clancy, who is the man behind the Saratoga special and ST publishing along with his brother, Joe, Sean honored with a eclipse award, his second eclipse award, for a story which didn't focus on a high point at Saratoga. As a matter of fact, it may have been the lowest point of the entire meet. Pretty mischievous winning the, the test stakes after Maple Leaf Mel had fallen and suffered her catastrophic injury right before the wire. She was going to win that race. Sean, I don't have to ask you about your inspiration for this story, but the way it all came about is somewhat interesting to me. You weren't originally scheduled to cover the test stakes. You were going to wait until the Whitney later in the day, but when all of this occurred, you and the team at Saratoga Special got together and said, hey, we need to, we need to switch things up. So take me through everything that occurred that led to this story coming about. Yeah, I mean, look, it, you know, it was one of those, it was Whitney Day in Saratoga, so there's a big day of stakes. I think there's four or five stakes that day, and we divided up the stakes like we always do. And um, my brother, Joe, he actually had COVID, so he wasn't there. So we were a man down to begin with. Uh, he was quarantined in the house. and um, So we had kind of made our assignments, and, yeah, I was supposed to cover the Whitney. I watched the test. Tom Law and I actually watched the test from our box, the same box we watched Awaken. We were sitting there watching it. And I remember saying to Tom, she'd gotten inside the 16th pole, and I said, man, look how tough is this filly? You know, just watch her in awe to see her run like she did and the fractions and put everybody away. And then uh, obviously then, you know, what happened was uh, just you just left you stunned. I mean, we just kind of sat. We didn't jump into action by any means. We kind of sat there just stunned like everybody, kind of really just speechless, just completely stunned. Um, so then Tom and I, we went down to the winter circle to kind of just regroup and kind of see what, um, I don't even know why we went, you know, it wasn't any real specific goal. We just went down there and Paul Halloran, who was meant to cover the test, he was standing there and Paul's a very capable writer. He's a great asset to the special. He's come, come along about two or three years ago and he's just done an unbelievable job as a guy that just comes in and kind of can cover stakes. He's a real pro. And, uh, so he was, he was there and, and, um, I just followed Brendan. Brendan Walsh, who trained pretty mischievous, he uh, he walked out of the winner's circle. I think with Dave Granning and another, I think Ryan Martin maybe from Naira, and they had followed him out of the winner's circle. And um, I just followed them. Just I don't know why I just followed them. And um, and then really Brendan stammered out a couple words. I mean they, they you know those guys are you know they have an absolute you know job requirement. They need to get credit quote from the winner. So. He stammered out a few words to them and then started walking kind of behind the grandstand. I knew he was going kind of back to the stable where he's, I figured he's going to go into his golf cart and go into the test barn. So I just went with him and, and I wasn't really, I don't know, hadn't really even thought about writing it yet. I was just kind of walking with him. And and then I got in the golf cart. I texted Tom Law. I said, I, I'm with Brendan. And, um, Brent and Tom just, you know, texted right back, said, you you know, you want to switch? I said, yeah, um, I thought I better. Um, so then that's where, that's how the story kind of started. And then, um, you know, I just, I just was with Brendan for the next probably hour or so, I guess. And, um, you know, he, 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 he really made the story because he's a very introspective 
uh, guy and he's honest and open. And, you know, I was kind of, I wasn't even sure he knew I was writing the story, you know, I was kind of sitting there just tape recorder running and wondering how, uh, how it would play out. I mean, just, uh, I mean, it was a terrible day. It was just a brutal day. It was, uh, you know, for the sport, you knew how, you knew how brutal it was. And, uh, yeah, it was just a terrible, terrible day. I remember talking with Brendan on this program the week after the test. Um, it was August 12th of last year. And his demeanor, at even at that point a week later, um, looking back on everything that occurred and, you know, talking about the incident – um, was just like you described it. It was very somber, as as you would expect. Um, but you think about Brendan and you think about the team with Godolphin, Dan Pride, and the entire group, and just how classy they were through this entire process. I mean, they, you know, we talk about all the negative things that happened in horse racing, and this certainly was not a positive thing, Sean. But, man, the way that that group stepped up and handled everything after the race with just the utmost amount of class was certainly commendable. Yeah, no, no question. And that's, that's, I guess how I was trying to write it. I mean, I try to write it as just an observer and stand back, get out of the way. Don't get yourself in the middle of it. And, uh, just try to describe the, the, the moment and the actions and, and the, the, the people, the, the, the war, you know, the horseman's words in my story is Brendan talking about it. It was his assistant and, Dave, uh, Dave Duggan and Mark, Mark Kanamachi and John Wayne Eastwood, who's a, you know, hot walker and, uh, Ricardo Santana, the jockey, he was pushing a baby carriage and, you know, it was very much just the, the, the immediate reaction and, and how people were, um, were, hand, you know, were, were reacting to, to, to what had happened. So that was how I wrote the story. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think the one thing about horse racing that sometimes gets lost is we are a real family and uh, we're all in it together as much as we want to compete and beat each other. We are very much uh, a family, and I think that takes everybody to get involved and 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 everybody feels the same way. And and I think anybody there that day, I mean, we we any of us could have been. Melanie Giddings and Bill Parcells and Joel Rosario and her team, and 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 so. I thought in a terrible situation, I thought we did probably handle it pretty well considering, you know, that because we're all in it together. Um, So that's how I tried to write it. That, you know, the only thing I was trying to, I guess the only thing I've, the only thing I wanted to show, I guess, was just the compassion and the, uh, you know, the hurt, the hurt from that, the whole sport was feeling at that moment. And and that's all I tried to do. And and that, that wasn't hard because, that was right. I mean, that was right there in front of me as a writer. It, you know, it wasn't. I mean, that hurt was there. So that's all I tried to express, I guess. Yep. Yeah, and you did it beautifully. So much so that the the committee and the voters for the Eclipse Award honored you with that second Eclipse Award. Your first one. Let me see. Was it two thousand nine <laughs> that you won your first Eclipse Award? And you're good. Fifteen <laughs> you're good. years later, here we are doing it again. Brother, yeah, what's exactly. that mean? That that's that's incredible. <laughs> uh look, you know, it's it's a real honor. I mean, as anybody who's ever, you know, any of us writers, it's 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 nice to be recognized. I mean, sure, this story I wish it was for a better subject, but um yeah. I, I'm honored that it was it was chosen. I'm uh I'm you know, I, I think the vote the the 
judges and anybody who would read it would, would understand the situation. And, um, you know, that was written on deadline at that moment. And, um, so yeah, look, it's a big honor. I mean, it's a huge honor in our sport. Anytime you can win one. And, um, so yeah, I guess it takes me every 15 years to win one, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> I remember <laughs> like you telling riders. me it takes me 25 to win turf right. win the turf riders and 15 to win the clips award. But, uh, no, I'm, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and honored and, um, you know, I'm just, uh, I, I'm just, I look, I'm thankful that I've, been able to make a living in this sport that I love for, you know, done it kind of my own way, I guess, in a way, you know, between Joey and Tom Law and I and the special and, and River D stable has been, you know, I have lots of my, you know, Annie and miles are hundred percent behind me with that. And they allow me the freedom to, to do the, the things that I love to do. So, uh, that, that's special. I remember you telling me shortly after a couple of years, I guess it was after you won that first one in Oh nine. And you told me you were, hoping to get a second one so you could have a bookend for your mantle. Well, it took you 15 years. I hope you still have the mantle because now you've got the two trophies. They're going to look incredible side-by-side side up there, my friend. Yeah, it's very funny. So when I won the first one, I came home and, uh, you know, Andy and I had gone to California and had, you know, got the trophy and I, I put it right in the center of the mantle and the mantle sits over our fireplace in our den. So I put it in the center and a day or two later, it was off kind of to the side it was just sitting there on the side and i looked and i said well hey why'd you you know what why why, why'd you move it over here and it kind of looked (laughs) unbalanced and she said what are you only going to win one oh my goodness (laughs) so i had to laugh when this came out i'm like well i finally got another one to uh balance it out um but yeah no look it's as i said it's a huge honor and um i i yeah i wish it was for a better subject and um but it's uh you know, that was one of those moments that had to be written, you know, it happened and you had to write it. And, and I happened to be the person there to, to write it. And I, I've said it before. I feel like this Saratoga special has a real voice. And at that moment, especially that week, we were doing daily publishing as middle, you know, beginning of sales week. And that was our role, our responsibility to, to write it and try to write it with um, eloquence and honesty and bring in, bring in, bringing the the sport and and the pain and and what everybody was thinking and feeling at that moment to to the readers so that's what we try to do well sean i know how hard you work and i'm really proud of you and congratulations i couldn't be happier it's it's great to see the good people in the game be rewarded for things like this and um man enjoy your trip to florida and have a great time down there thank you very much i appreciate all the support and uh you know from and love everything you do for the sport we've you know, we've traveled a lot of roads together, and uh, it's been a real uh, real joy to my life for sure. Yeah. Amen, brother. All right, say hi to everybody for me. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Sean Clancy here on HRRN. Time now for your Legends of the Turf, a short commercial break. And when I come back, I will turn my attention to the breeding side of things as I welcome Walker Hancock, president of Historic Claiborne Farm. He'll be with me next after your Legends of the Turf. On June 9, 1956, the field went postward for the running of the $50,000 Argonaut Handicap at Hollywood Park. In the field were Langolin Farms' Porterhouse, who had whipped his chief rival in this field swaps by a head in the last previous meeting of the two in the Californian, the very speedy Bobby Brocato with the master craftsman Johnny Longden in the irons, and, of course, swaps, who would come off an injury as a three-year-old to make an attempt at a third world record. Swaps had already notched world records for 1 and 1 16th miles and a mile and 70 yards. 
The Hollywood Park had been especially groomed to be as fast as a one-armed paper hanger in a four-room apartment with a two-hour deadline. The anticipation was high amongst the patrons on this day for the import of a possible record-breaking performance. Trainer Mish Tenney said flatly and openly that his horse swaps with lower citations world mark of 133-3 for the flat mile, a record that had stood since 1949. As the horses broke from the starting gate, it was expected that the very speedy Bobby Brocato with Longdon in the saddle would go to the front to try to steal it. But Bill Shoemaker got swaps out of the box like a rocket down along the fence, and he was not about to allow himself to get shut off by the speed horses outside of him going into the turn. Swaps established a clear lead going into the clubhouse turn. Shoemaker realized Longdon was resigned to playing the waiting game, settling in just off the pace with Bobby Brocato. Schumacher turned that strategy to his own advantage while keeping lots of horse in reserve, setting the early fractions. Swaps had an open lead all the way down the backside while turning in a 22 and 3 quarter, 45 and 1 for the half, and 108 and 2 for the first six panels. As the field swung through the far turn in the glistening California sunlight, Longdon made his expected move with Bobby Brocato and with a quick burst of speed got his mount set up to Shoemaker's boot on the leader. The shoe went to the stick, cracking the flank of Swaps with a hard lick and Swaps responded to again move clear. The Rex Ellsworth-owned four-year-old held sway during the run down the lane, and all eyes were now on the teletimer, which flashed 133-1 as he hit the wire. A new world record. Bobby Bercato had been beaten by barely a length in a supremely game effort, and Porterhouse, in receipt of nine pounds from the Swaps, was six lengths further back in third. Swaps had clocked the last half mile in a most impressive 48 flat. It was a third world record he had chalked up, and he was, in no uncertain terms, to be regarded as one of the all-time greats on the racetrack. He was blessed with class, courage, and a tremendous amount of ability, a sure-fire recipe for greatness. You know, not all fast horses are great, but all great horses are fast, and Swaps was undeniably fast indeed. Many observers on the scene at Hollywood Park on that June day in 1956 felt Swaps could have gone faster if he'd been pushed in the early part of the race, but it was breathtakingly fast as it was. June 9, 1956 at Hollywood Park in the Argonaut Handicap, the day Swaps set his third world mark. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 Stallion roster at Adina Springs North offers exciting opportunities for breeders. Tap into the famed Leafard's Delta family with American Guru, a winner over a mile on turf in 132.09. His sire produced classic winners Empire Maker, Grindstone, and Red Bullet. 
and his first runners are on track in 2024. Shaman Ghost is Ghost Sapper's best son, a multiple grade one winner of $3.8 million. His first crop of Ontario sired runners start in 2024. Adina Stallion's silent name is the only son of Sunday Silence at stud in North America and Canada's champion sire three years in a row. Signature Red is the only son of Bernstein at stud in Canada and the best value stud in the country. And Dynaformer's heir point of entry is Canada's number one sire by progeny earnings, turf sired, and average earnings per runner on turf in 2023. Learn more at adinastallions.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Then a gap of two to Order of Australia in the fourth position, starts looking for more running room. Casa Creed winding up down the center of the course. Here's Annapolis looking for room. Mesa still has the lead. Here comes Annapolis. Order of Australia is right there. Costa Creed on the far outside. Atone drops back. Annapolis puts ahead in front. Order of Australia. Ivar is running late. It is Annapolis with the lead. Order of Australia. Ivar is there. It is Annapolis in front. It is Annapolis to win the Coolmore Turf Mile. Three wins on the day for Irad Ortiz Jr. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires here on HRRN. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you on this Saturday morning. That was Kurt Becker with the call of the 2022 running of the Coolmore Turf Mile at Keeneland. It was won by Annapolis. That is a grade one race. He is a grade one winner, and he was really, really good throughout much of his career. And he now has a new home at Claiborne Farm. If you go to ClaiborneFarm.com and you look at the listing of stallions that they now have as part of their Claiborne family. The one horse that's probably not thrilled about Annapolis joining the roster is Blame, because for years, Blame has had the top spot alphabetically on the list. He's been the first name you see. Not the case anymore with Annapolis now joining the roster at Claiborne. And Walker Hancock is the president of Claiborne Farm, and he's with me now here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Walker, good morning. Congratulations on the new addition. Morning, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me on, as always. And, yeah, we are very, very excited to be standing in Annapolis this year. You should be. I mean, what a racehorse. What, what was it that first attracted you to Annapolis and said, hmm, he might be a fit with our roster? Well, obviously, he's, a, he's an undefeated grade six winner, too. He was the fastest turf juvenile in 2021. And on, then he, when he, he won the uh, Coolmore Turf Mile uh, at Keeneland uh, in sticks record time. Uh, obviously that that pretty much cemented his his spot here at the farm you know he was born and raised here uh the bass family bred him he's been, he was a star from day one he i remember the the day he fold i called ramona and it, uh, we were all so excited i mean he was exactly what we were looking for when she bought the mare for four million dollars and uh he's never let us down he's, he's never he's he's been a star since day one he has that great pedigree too. Home, home, uh, home cooking there, if you will, with the sire Warfront, who, of course, stands there at Claiborne, and uh, he's the son of Warfront, and now gets to be alongside his daddy in the in the stallion barn. Yeah, he does. You know, hopefully we can he can carry on the legacies. I know Warfront's bound to have a, a great son one of these days, and uh, hopefully, whether it's War of Will or Annapolis or, or someone <laughs> that, that uh, they'll be able to f- uh, fulfill his. His role as he as he uh, ages out of uh, out of um, you know production here in a, in a few years. When you start considering a stallion to add to the roster and stand at Claiborne Walker, is it all about the race record, or do you have to take into account pedigree, 
a little bit more? Or how does that all work? What things, what boxes does a horse have to check in order for you to say, yeah, we want him to be part of our family? Well, he obviously has to have a, a solid race record, but the pedigree is a big part of it too. I mean, yeah, he, he, Annapolis hails from a, a, a great dirt family. Um, there's three grade one winners in the, in the, on dirt in the, in the first couple dams. His dam, uh, my Miss Sophia was second in the Kentucky Oaks. So there's a lot of, uh, dirt influence in that family, but it's also, um, it also has some sire power as well. So, you know, materiality won the, um, Florida Derby. Um, you know, he, he was a, a phenomenal racehorse as well. So, um, you know, you look, you look at a couple of things, race record being one, pedigree being one. Um, he has a beautiful physical. Um, I mean, he's, he's a picture of a stallion. Everyone that's come to see him this week has absolutely fallen in love and book seasons with Bernie right away. So we, uh, we're, we're very excited and um, thrilled with the response that we've received from Annapolis. When you have a horse like, well, any of the stallions really, but do you, do you try to find a specific type of mare that you think is going to fit that stallion when you have people come out to look at them or especially with a new stallion like this, do you say, all right, let's just get as, as much quality to this stallion as we can. And we'll see where things go from there. Yeah. We're, we're focusing on quality. We're trying, I mean, he's such a picture of a stallion. I think you could breed him to any type of mare. Um, he's about 16 two, uh, perfectly balanced, really nice race, race horse, physical, uh, wise. And, um, you know, so I, I'm not really worried about like trying to breed a certain type of mare to him. We're just looking for quality at this point. And, um, that's evidenced by, uh, uh, Mrs. Bass has supported him uh, buying four really nice mares for him at the January sale this past week, and um, those will be going to him. And we're breeding some nice mares. I know uh, we have a really nice shareholder list, and they're going to breed some good mares. So he's going to be uh, have a phenomenal chance to make it. And um, just uh, I, I know that he'll be supported by a lot of quality. You mentioned Warfront's other son, War of Will, who stands at Claiborne as well. Uh, I remember coming out to see him when he first got to the farm. Tell me more about the reception that he has received uh, over the past uh, couple of seasons. Well, for Bubble Sire, he's filling up quite well um, yeah. this year. You know, um, I think they, they sold so well. They look so well. They're, I think a lot of people uh, love the way that he's really stamping them. Uh, you really see a lot of Warfront um, in, his, in his offspring. And, you know, Gary Barber has been so great, such a, a good partner. To, he supported the horse so well, and he has 25 or 30 down in Ocala. I'm actually going to go down and see him here in a few weeks, and I'm really excited to see what they all look like. But the early reports from Mark Cassie, who has the majority of them, um, he, he loves the way they've been training. And we have a few with Robbie Harris, and he, he says they're, you know, top of our list. So, um, you know, he's, he's, we're really, really excited about what War of Will might do this year. Any similarities with War of Will Annapolis to their to their father Warfront? You know what? They're kind of different horses a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, Warfront is, or sorry, War of Will is basically just like Warfront, just kind of stretchier and bigger. He has that Warfront look. Where um, you know we were looking at Annapolis the other day, and, and Bernie mentioned he's like, I, I see some unbridled song in this horse. So, and he comes from he's out of my Miss Sophia, who's by unbridled song. Um, but you know he has that Annapolis has that typical Warfront look as well. Uh, nice, um, beautiful physique, and um, you know they are a little different. So um, that, that that does separate them a little bit, I think, when breeders will come to see them. Talking with Walker Hancock, who is the president of Historic Claiborne Farm. You can go to claibornefarm.com to see all of the Claiborne stallions, including the newest addition, Annapolis, who we just talked about. I mentioned Blame being a bit disgruntled because he's not the first name on the list anymore, alphabetically anyway. But, boy, has he been a tremendous sire for you. 
Yeah, you know, he's used to he's used to always taking a blame or a, <laughs> a knock. You know, I mean, he's not it, used to being second either. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's not used to being second. That's for sure. But you know, he's always <laughs> uh, he's kind of always living in the shadows of Zenyatta, unfortunately. But yeah, he's he's turned out to be a trem- um, a great a good sire for us, and uh, he's turning into a, a great broodmare sire. And um, you know, we're we're looking forward to his, he had a really solid book a couple of years ago that should be hitting the track this year. So I think we're going to start seeing some more blames in the winter circle. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's had just a, a tremendous career and it's, it's so good to see him, not just the career he had on the racetrack, but then to see what he's done as a stallion too. That's you, you have to be very proud. Yeah, we are. You know, being a homebred, it's always special when those, those kind of come back. Um, you know, like you see them when the day they're born, just like Annapolis and they come home and, you know, when they, when you send them out, uh, as, when they're a yearling, you always hope that they come back, but sometimes those colts don't, but it is special when they do. And, um, it's always fun to bring one home and whether it's blame or Annapolis or, uh, whoever it may be, um, it, uh, it's something special about our roster. We have a lot of, quite a few homebreds on it. So, um, hopefully we can continue to, uh, turn them out and find some more studs. You know, Walker, I've always said that there is, you know, there are certain organizations in all sports. We hear it, well, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me um, a little bit sick to even say this name, but the New England Patriots, and they would always talk about the Patriot way, right? There, yeah. There's organizations that have continued success for a long period of time, and there's a way that they go about doing things that makes them successful. I've always said Claiborne in horse racing falls into that, that same niche. So what is it? What, how would you describe the Claiborne way of doing business, the Claiborne the, the, the Claiborne philosophy, if you will. Well, my grandfather coined the term doing the usual and usually well. And uh, as simple as that may sound, it's kind of what we always do here. We just always put the horse first. And when you treat them well, you treat the land well, you, uh, it, will, it will treat you well in return. So um, it's a it's very simple philosophy, but um, that's it's what we've kind of been rooted on and what we continue to strive to do. And it's led to a lot of our success. Yeah. And the racing side of things has been, you know, always strong with Claiborne, but it continues to be strong going into 2024 as well. Yeah. You know, we've been a little quiet here the last couple of years, but we kind of cut back our stable numbers a little bit, but I think uh, this year we have our biggest crop of two year olds we've had in quite some time. So hopefully we'll, we'll be a little more active in the, uh, on the racetrack. Um, we've got, we're off to a good start this year. We've already had won a nice race and had a nice Philly run uh, third yesterday in an allowance race. So we'll, we'll hopefully, um, um, better days are ahead for the racing stable. One of the other things that I always loved about Claiborne is the fact that you are so welcoming to the general public and racing fans who want to come and visit this land that has had so many legendary racehorses walk on that land. And you're always welcoming to guests and visitors who come to the bluegrass. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, we actually had our highest, um, number of visitors ever this past year we had uh over twelve thousand um, wow come to come to the gates and come to the ground so um yeah it, it's become a part a fixture of our operation and business um you know we have a nice visitor center that's very welcoming for guests and we have two or three tours a day we've expanded a little bit we have a uh, not only do we have like the stallion like uh and gravesite tour but um we we have a shuttle tour where you can go uh, ride like a extended golf cart throughout the farm and see some of the rolling hills and and horses out in the pasture and then uh at some point this year we're going to open up like a ruffian tour and uh we're, you know always looking to expand and, and uh be a little more welcoming and um to uh some, to the horse racing fans 
doing the usual unusually well. I love it. Walker Hancock here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Walker, all the best here in 2024. It's always great to catch up, and congratulations on Annapolis and the success you've had with the other stallions as well. Let's keep it rolling. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. We'll do our best. No, you got it. Walker Hancock. And, yeah, if you get an opportunity when you're in central Kentucky, that is a bucket list item. Going to see Claiborne, walking through the cemeteries, which are unreal. The stallion barns, getting a chance to walk through and take a look at the placards of some of the names that have stood there. You know, Secretariat and Easy Goer and some of the greats. And now we mentioned Ruffian. Uh, all of these all of these wonderful attractions, if you will, that you can see at Claiborne. It's hallowed ground. And Walker and his team have done a remarkable job continuing the legacy that was set by his ancestors. All the best to them going forward here in 2024. When I come back, it's time for this week's edition of Calling All Three-Year-Olds, presented by Spendthrift. We'll take a look at the top three-year-olds in training right now, and I'll get you ready for our number two. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Dan's world-class racing is underway at spectacular Santa Anita. So with special holiday racing on Monday, Martin Luther King Day, come join us for a terrific three-day weekend with first post time at 1230. Monday is also Dollar Day with $1 beers and sodas along with $2 hot dogs. This Saturday is California Cup Day and come early. The first 1,000 fans will get a beautiful free color print of Vox Populi Horse of the Year, Cody's Wish. Horse players, check out our new wagering menu that includes the traditional pick six with a $1 minimum as well as the coast-to-coast pick five. It's a $1 wager with a low 15% takeout that combines races from both Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park. Additionally, our popular $3 all-turf pick three is back, showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new $1 trifectas and rolling pick threes with bigger payouts the order of the day. Santa Anita, it's the great race place. Joe Buck and John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather back, back, back. She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. 
Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the Brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The Brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They're all in line. And they're off. Spendthrift Farm presents Calling All Three-Year-Olds with Bobby Newman. There were two stakes for Kentucky Derby hopefuls last weekend, but like the previous week, only one of them was a points qualifier. That was the one-mile Jerome Stakes at Aqueduct. Drum roll, please, was coming off a nice third-place finish behind Dornick and Sierra Leone in the grade two Remsen, and this figured to be a much softer spot. He was sent off the heavy three-to-five favorite in the short field. Despite the fact he sat in the back of the pack chasing a moderate pace early on, he circled the field five or six wide and pulled away to win by almost four lengths. The victory earned him 10 Kentucky Derby qualifying points. Not sure what he beat in the Jerome, but he certainly did it impressively. Look for him to next contest the Grade 3 Withers on February 3rd at Aqueduct. Out West, the Grade 2 7 Furlong San Vicente marked the three-year-old debut of Bob Baffert's Muth. He was last seen finishing second to Fierceness in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He got a perfect stalking trip on the outside of the speed, engaged the leaders on the turn, and drew out to win by almost three lengths, giving Baffert his 13th San Vicente winner. San Vicente wasn't a points qualifier, but even if it was, Muth wouldn't have been eligible to earn those points because he's trained by Baffert, who remains barred from all Churchill Downs racing activities. If owner Amir Zidane thinks Muth is a Kentucky Derby contender, he'll have to move him, at least temporarily, to another trainer. We shall see. No points qualifiers this weekend on the road to the Kentucky Derby, but things stoke up again next weekend with the Grade 3 LeCompte at Fairgrounds, a race worth 20 points to the victor. I'll be back with this week's top five list right after this word from Spendthrift. Cyberknife was a very talented horse from day one. Fast horse, able to carry it around two turns. Looks a tremendous amount. Like Gunrunner, same ability and talent. Holds the track record in the Haskell. He won it in impressive fashion, beating a very good group of horses. His name is Cyberknife! Excited about him passing on his durability, his soundness, and his talent. He could definitely be a breeze-shaping stallion. Multiple grade one winner Cyberknife, standing at Spendthrift. This week's top five list of derby contenders looks like this. Number five, Locked. The Breeders' Futurity champ ran well when third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Looks like extra distance could be his friend. Number four, Dornock, the full brother to 2023 derby champ Mage, was tenacious with his Remsen win. Number three, Sierra Leone, extremely green in the stretch of the Remsen. He's a big talent who just needs to figure things out. Number two is Fierceness. The Breeders' Cup champ was about as impressive as it gets. He's planning for the Holy Bullet Gulfstream on February 3rd. And number one, Nysos, the Baffert trainee, will need a barn change to earn derby points, but there's no question he's uber-talented. That's your Calling All Three-Year-Olds segment presented by Spendthrift, the Breeders' Farm. My thanks to Spendthrift for making those segments possible each and every week, and we are just getting started with those three-year-old, uh, Calling All Three-Year-Olds segments 
they will be updated every single week here on the program all the way through the Kentucky Derby. And a lot is going to change, certainly. Um, you're going to have horses jumping in and out of the top five for Bobby Newman. Um, and today is going to give us a glimpse of a couple of horses that could find them w- their way into that top five list going forward with the Pasco Stakes. And out of the Cal Cup Derby is a race that maybe it's a bit of a long shot that we could see a Derby starter come from that race. But there are talented Calbreds, and who knows? how they continue to develop and, pro- and progress. So that is the poll question here this morning. Which of today's three-year-old races is more likely to produce a Kentucky Derby starter? Is it the Pasco Stakes at Tampa Bay Downs or the Cal Cup Derby at Santa Anita? And not surprisingly, 73% of you saying it is the Pasco Stakes the more likely to produce a Derby starter. I told you before that the as I opened the show, the Pasco Stakes has provided us with five starters in the Kentucky Derby, most recent being in 2019, win, 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 who won the Pasco, went on to finish ninth in the Kentucky Derby. The best finish for any of those five Derby starters that ran in the Pasco earlier in the season was Musket Man in 2009. He won the Pasco. He finished third in the Kentucky Derby for trainer Derek Ryan, who is going to be my first guest to kick off hour number two momentarily. You're also going to hear from trainer Larry Demerit, who gets ready to saddle West Saratoga. Of course, Derek Ryan back this year with Bookham Dano. Those are the two favorites in today's Pasco. Should be a great showdown between those two. I'll get a chance to hear from both camps coming up in hour number two. And Tom Rooney, the CEO of the NTRA, will join me to wrap up the second hour at 940. And plenty ahead in hour number three. I'll tell you all about it when I come back. Right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification, this is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back. Hour two of three. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch. Happy to have you along for the ride on this Saturday morning. Looking forward to talking about the Pasco Stakes here in the second hour of the program. Also a visit with Tom Rooney at 940. 10 o'clock Eastern, going to give you three races you can keep an eye on this afternoon with the Twin Spires triple play. Vance Hansen will be here to do the honors and walk you through those three. Kurt Becker, Stroll through racing history coming up at 1020 and at 1030. I ask they answer Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin will both be joining me for that segment. Looking forward to talking about some of the hottest topics of the week with Dale and Tim as we do each and every week on I ask they answer. Um, If you missed any portion of the first hour of the program, my conversation with Eclipse Award winner Sean Clancy and with Walker Hancock, the president of Claiborne Farm. All you have to do, head back to the website, horseracingradio.net. You can listen to all of our shows whenever you have some time on our website. And you can do that, too, on every podcast platform. So however you access your podcast, simply type in Horse Racing Radio Network, and you can follow along and subscribe to all of our shows and listen to them uh, at your leisure. Working on getting a hold of trainer Derek Ryan, who won the Pasco Stakes in 2009 
with Musket Man. Eventually went on to finish third in the Kentucky Derby that year. Um, he's back with a very talented three-year-old in this year's renewal, and that is Bookham Dano, the son of Bucaro out of a ghost sapper mare. Certainly has some credentials. Finished second last time out in the Nashua. Before that, had rattled off three consecutive victories, all sprinting, but three straight wins to begin his career. Two of those at Monmouth, one at Aqueduct, and then came back in that Nashua and finished second, beating just three-quarters of a length. So Bookham Dano, a horse that showed plenty of promise at two, how has he progressed since that race in the Nashua? Has he developed mentally, physically, the way he's going to have to? And I understand that this is not the ultimate goal today. There are bigger fish to fry down the road, if you will, for Bookham Dano. But this race here should be right up his alley. I mentioned that he's, his three wins all came sprinting. And this is a 7 eight mile race. So... It should hit him right between the eyes. And I think the Bookham Dano is the horse to beat. But West Saratoga is going to have something to say about that. And I'm going to be really curious to get Larry Demerit's thoughts on West Saratoga when he joins me in the next segment right around 920. Get a chance to talk to Larry about his development and his maturity level. Has he progressed from where he was at two, a grade three winning son of exaggerator at two. Has he continued to build on that momentum going into 2024? We'll find out. If you missed the poll question, continue to weigh in at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. If you don't do social media, you can email the show, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and let me know which of today's three-year-old races is more likely to produce a Kentucky Derby starter. Is it the Pasco, or is it the Cal Cup Derby? And not surprisingly, 75% of you continuing to say that it is the Pasco Stakes that is more likely to produce a Kentucky Derby starter. Not a winner, but a Kentucky Derby starter later this year on the first Saturday in May. The Cal Cup Derby is a race that we know California Chrome came through that race. You don't have a California Chrome in this year's renewal. But it's not out of the question that we could see a horse come out of this race. The The horses, at least from a distance perspective, the horses that are running in the Cal Cup Derby are a little further along than the horses that are running in the Pasco. Right, Because the distance of the Cal Cup Derby is a mile and the 16th. So from that perspective, you say, all right, well, they're a little further along in their development, maybe. But I don't think you have quite the quality in the Cal Cup Derby that you have in the Pasco Stakes. The one horse in there who is going to be the morning line favorite, or is the morning line favorite, going to be the likely favorite at post time, is Wild Jewels. And Wild Jewels, if you're looking for a horse to potentially take that cowbred baton and run with it all the way to Churchill Downs, maybe Wild Jewels is going to be the horse. 
But while Jules still has all kinds of things to prove, comes into the Cal Cup Derby on a three-race winning streak, all three of those victories were on synthetic at Golden Gate. So now has to transfer that form to the main track and do it on a bit bigger stage than he was doing in Northern California. We'll see. Is it is it the son of Nyquist, stolen treasure, who ends up emerging victorious here? Was second in the King Glorious last time out. Behind last call London, who is also back in the Cal Cup Derby later today. Maybe it's one of those two that just begins to click from here on forward and makes their way to Churchill Downs. I do agree with HRN Nation that it's probably the Pasco that should be considered the race more likely to produce a Kentucky Derby starter. Because, again, I don't think you have there, – there is no California Chrome in the Cal Cup Derby this year. But it's a competitive race. Whether they'll turn out to be that quality or not remains to be seen. But you can cast your vote at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. Email the show, Mike, at HorseRacingRadio.net if you don't do social media. I mentioned that Dale and Tim will be here in the final segment of the show. And by the way, still efforting Derek Ryan to talk about Bookham Dano in today's Pasco. We'll let you know if he's able to make it with us here this morning. But listen, I say this all the time. We appreciate every trainer, every owner, every jockey who takes time to be with us at this time of day. This show airing from 8 to 11 every Saturday morning. I've always been so appreciative because this is the time when those people are working. Jockeys are out galloping horses in the morning. Trainers are out there training horses in the morning. Owners are oftentimes out there watching their horses. And for them to take 15 minutes out of their busy schedule, especially on a Saturday, is always appreciated. And if for some reason we'll get to Derek, I'm pretty sure he got tied up with some things at Tampa Bay Downs getting ready for that Pasco later today. But hopefully we'll have a chance to hear from him in just a couple of minutes. But when Dale and Tim come on at 10.30 Eastern, we're going to talk about some of the things that came out of the finalists that were announced last week for the Eclipse Awards. Last week on that show, on that segment, Dale, Tim, and myself, we talked about which individuals and which horses we felt should be included among the finalists in a multitude of categories. Now we know who those finalists were. And I told you earlier, I think the Javier Castellano omission for leading jockey is mind-boggling. Maybe the biggest snub I've ever seen in the, in the Eclipse Award votings. I think he deserved to be in there. But there's other topics I'm going to bring up with them. And one of those involves horse of the year. Because that is the one category where we do not know the finalists, the three finalists for Horse of the Year. They will not be announced until the Eclipse Award ceremonies in Florida on January 25th. And that's one of the things I'll talk about with Tom Rooney, too, when he joins me at 940. Uh, we'll talk about the Eclipse Awards and 
I'll get his thoughts on who he feels might be in the top three. We know White Barrio is going to be in there. I think that's almost a given. I think Cody's wish is a given. But that third spot among the three finalists for Horse of the Year is wide open. Who would you put in there? Would it be Elite Power? Defending his title in the Breeders' Cup Sprint had a tremendous year again in 2023. Would he be the one that makes your, your cut as the third? He, he was for me. I had Cody's Wish, I had White Barrio, and I had Elite Power. Those were my three. Maybe it's idiomatic. Idiomatic blitzed the competition all year long and then wrapped it up with a win in the Breeders' Cup distaff. Very convincing win, by the way. You heard from Brad Cox on this show last week talking about the fact that after the race, he was pretty animated. Because at that point, remember, we didn't know what was going to happen later in the day with White Barrio and, you know, we, Brad Cox was legitimately thinking that win in the Breeders' Cup distaff could have cemented horse of the year for idiomatic based on what would occur later in the Breeders' Cup. I'm not sure. I could see her being among the finalists. I could see voters putting her in there in the top three. But I don't think her resume warrants being voted horse of the year. She did not take on the boys at all in 2023. If she had done that, if she had run against the boys one time and she had won that race and she wrapped up the year undefeated, I could certainly see idiomatic being a legitimate candidate for horse of the year, considering the wide open season that it was in thoroughbred racing last year. What about up to the mark? Up to the mark just rattled off grade one win after grade one win after grade one win on the turf last year and then nearly pulled off that win in the Breeders' Cup turf from a horrendous post. Is that enough for up to the mark to be your third horse with Cody's Wish and with White Barrio? Wouldn't shock me a bit if he's the third finalist. Again, I went with elite power. I thought his campaign, and I know a sprinter, maybe a sprinter will never get horse of the year, but I thought he deserved to be in the conversation. But I can't fault those who would say up to the mark also deserves to be in that conversation, and I think maybe even more so than idiomatic. Up to the mark. We were talking about him before the Breeders' Cup turf being Dale Roman said, and I asked the answer, Dale said he's going to be horse of the year if he wins the Breeders' Cup turf. Well, as we know, he didn't, but he ran a tremendous race from a bad post, but he didn't win. He was second. Is that enough? Is that enough for voters to say, okay, he's at least a finalist and did some people put him on top? There's a lot of ways that you can go with that third position. I do think, again, Cody Swish, White Barrio, I think they've cemented their place. And 
Cody's wish is probably going to win horse of the year. Solid campaign. A lot of people will look at the emotional story surrounding Cody's wish, but I tried to put that to the side when I was looking at just the resume on the racetrack. And he's a very deserved candidate for horse of the year. He's probably going to win. But we'll find out on January 25th who those three finalists are. Again, it's the only category that we do not know. Another interesting question that I, I'm going to broach with Dale and Tim. And this one came from a listener. Uh, and I, I'll encourage you right now. If you have a topic that you would like to hear Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin discuss, debate, email that topic to me, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and we'll do our best to work it into the show going forward. Dale and Tim love to get questions from our listeners, and Craig in Florida sent a question for them this week talking about the apprentice jockey category, and I thought this was a legitimate question. Can't wait to hear what Dale and Tim had to say about Axel Concepcion, who is among the finalists. He very well could be the favorite to win Apprentice Jockey. But Craig questions whether or not it's right for Axel to be included among the finalists, considering that he had two 30-day suspensions for careless riding, both of which resulted in rival horses falling. And Craig's concern is that rewarding Axel as a finalist could validate careless techniques by riders and set a bad precedent. It's an interesting take. And again, that's one I'll bring up with Dale and Tim later in the show at 10.30 Eastern. All right, apparently Derek Ryan is tied up here this morning, won't be able to be with us. Larry Demerit is scheduled to be with me in the next segment. We'll go ahead and get a hold of Larry, and we'll talk about West Saratoga in the next segment. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher, showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile. The Grade 1 Woody Stevens, winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. When it's time to paint the fences and barns, think Farm Paint. At Farm Paint, you get the industry's best coatings and paints factory direct at low, low prices. Farm Paint is your source for quality paints, roof coatings, dustless arena footings, and more. You can purchase online or drop into a Farm Paint store near you with locations in Heart of Bluegrass Country at 700 Phillips Lane in Lexington, Kentucky, Columbus, Ohio, and Sandusky, Ohio. Buy factory direct and save at farmpaint.com. That's farmpaint.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN. 
presented by Twin Spires. Liberal Arts is down inside, now coming off the rail. Five lengths behind there. And Edified comes alive with a wide sweep. They're off the turn. Patriot Spirit still in front somehow. It's a two-length lead. Here comes West Saratoga. Riskin is there, sees the gray. Edified, one furlong to go. West Saratoga comes away with the lead. Kicks away by two. Sees the grays wandering about. Riskin down inside to the wire. West Saratoga. Wins it by two, Risk it second, Liberal Arts was third, sees the gray fourth. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Strong effort there by West Saratoga to win the Iroquois. Greatest stakes race at Churchill Downs, maybe boats well for the first Saturday in May for trainer Larry Demerit, and a big moment for him. Just the second greatest stakes winner that he has trained in his career, and it's a, a special moment, and it's a he's a really special horse. Can't wait to talk to Larry about West Saratoga, his development, and what he's seeing from him coming into his three-year-old season here in 2024. He'll be with me momentarily here on HRRN. I was flipping through Blood Horse this morning, and... Admittedly, this is not a, a story I've done any prep on, but I thought it was really cool. So if you if you notice the if you go to bloodhorse.com, the top story that you're gonna see is that the same owner dead heat win a once in a lifetime thing. And then the same connections would also go on to win the next two races on the card. It's a really cool story coming from Penn National. When running multiple horses in the same race, some horsemen not wanting to play favorites might remark, let's hope for a dead heat. Well, that actually worked. A rare occurrence took place the evening of January 11th at Penn National. You had Crazy Legs Hirsch and My Redemption, both owned by Bush Racing Stable, and Tim, trained by Tim Creaser. It was impossible for the placing judges to split them after they examined the photo finish in the second race that night. Both were declared the winner for a dead heat. And the, the improbability that the same owner would own both horses that dead heat That's that's incredible. It's a really cool story. That's one of those. It, it, the, the headline says once in a lifetime. It is a once in a lifetime thing to see the same owner own two horses in the same race and they end up in a dead heat. What a wonderful scenario. Larry Demerit doesn't want a dead heat in the Pasco today. He wants West Saratoga to win by 10. And he's with me now here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Larry, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good, buddy. It's great to hear your voice. And, man, I'm looking forward to seeing West Saratoga do his thing later this afternoon. Yeah, we're hoping. He's feeling good, and we just need some racing success. You don't need to be blessed today. I was just telling that story that's on Blood Horse of the the same owner, Bush Racing Stable, winning uh, with both horses, ending up in a dead heat at Penn National the other night. That's that's somewhat mind-boggling, isn't it? Yes. Yes, that's I, I never heard of that before. No, 
That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely incredible. It's a cool story, and it's right there on Blood Horse. Very if, cool. if folks want to read it. So West Saratoga wins the Iroquois last year. Take me back to that day at Churchill, Larry. What, what was that day like? Tell me about the race. Yeah, that day we had the utmost confidence uh, going into that race. He trained so well all week leading up to that race. And, uh, you know, look at the field and I look at the way he was progressing. Uh, I thought he was the horse to beat, you know. He, he showed a lot of professionalism that day, too, sitting off the pace and finishing really well under Rafael Bejarano. What did you make of his performance? Well, you know, that's, we always uh, were a little bit high on this horse more than most, all of the two-year-olds we've been around because the way he trains, and he always moved forward. He had some setbacks as far as health-wise. But uh, we gave him the time to get over that. But he, he just, he's such a easy horse to ride and train because if you look at his first, the race he won, he was on the lead all the way. And the Eric he come from middle of the pack, you know. So he lay there with the job footing, you know. And uh, all I, all I just tell the jocks, if you have the confidence I have, Horse will run big for you. I I loved your quote after the Iroquois when you were asked about West Saratoga being an $11,000 purchase, and you said, I have champagne taste with a beer budget. Beer budget, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping for that to change, but so far it's still the same. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, w- what was it about West Saratoga, eleven thousand uh, dollars? What was it that that made the team say, "Yeah, we, we think we think we'll we'll give this guy a shot"? Yeah, well, you know, uh, I go to sales every year. I've been around a lot of good horses over my lifetime, and I know what they like. You know, I know the dispositions, the conformation. And that's where I start from when I'm on the sale. I'm looking for, and the smallest little things makes it different with me. I always said all horses have defects. I I don't buy a horse with maybe two or three defects, and I don't buy a horse just on paper. I look at the individual and see if he looks like an athlete, and then I look at his personality as he's around the ring, how he's handling the crowd. Because I look forward to what he's going to be like on race day. You know, if they can't take the crowd and the sales, they sure can't take race day. You know, so it's a lot goes into it. And I sit there most days from the first horse go to the ring till the last one. And there's a lot of horses I like, but like I say, can't afford. You bid on them and they go past me. But I, I always say, well, one may stop to my price and I always said whatever money you're paying for that horse that day, hope he's the best. Like if you buy one for five, hope he's the best $5,000 horse in the sale for that day, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what we try to do. He begins his career going 0 for 4, but it seemed like every single race he was learning 
and he was improving, and then he finally breaks through at Ellis Park in August. Do you yeah, agree with me? It, was, was it just a progression thing with him? He just had to get get acclimated with racing? Well, not only that, too. He came out of one hole the first four time he ran. So yeah. it was a tough position in big fields, you know what I mean? And uh, so we, we never lose confidence in him. We thought every race he ran was a good race. He always was moving forward in them. But I didn't change his training as far as just want to make him sprint and brace out the gate hard and run hard early just to get position. We know this horse uh, wanted to go longer. So we were giving him that opportunity, that racing opportunity to learn and get better, you know. But we were looking for him to break his maiden from the first start. That's how much talent we thought he had. Today's Pasco is seven-eighths of a mile, seven furlongs. He, again, draws the one hole. He, he's unlucky in that yeah. respect. Um, it, but this is not the ultimate goal, Larry. I said that earlier. This is the, the starting point for West Saratoga. What do you need to see from him today? Yeah, well, we still... Uh, hoping that we have him good enough to win. Uh, you know, it's a little smaller field, so we got the top rider with knows this racetrack, so I got to leave it up to him where he want to place him. But wherever he want this horse to be, he could put it, you know. Uh, <clears throat> since we come down here, we miss a couple of days of training because of weather, but... Uh, I think we had him tight enough when we leave Kentucky that we look forward to if we had little setbacks, he's still okay, you know. Uh, and seven eight is a good distance to come back after uh, being off a little bit from October, you know. Mm-hmm. Seven eight is instead of two turns, I'm more out of running seven eight and get ready for next month. You know, Larry, I love asking trainers about a three-year-old's development from two to three because we we hear it all the time in racing that that is, you know, like going from a a high school kid up to a college kid in those three months, you know, physically, mentally. So how much different is West Saratoga now than when we last saw him on the racetrack in October? He's a lot lot different art. He's a much different art. He's got bigger and stronger. Uh, you know, he he looks mature now. You know, last year he looked like a two. And I said, maybe the time off he got uh, really made a difference in him because he really come into hand. He's blooming, you know. He he really, uh, I can't say enough about what he looks like now to compare with... uh, he was like we look at him with the other two year olds in the barn we had last year, and how much more he mature over those horses, mm-hmm. you know, physically. And he has to, right? If he's going to continue yeah. to, yeah. to, to be on the Derby Trail, he has to continue. He has to go forward, and that's what we hopefully uh, we have him prepared properly for each race. We can't prepare him today for the first Saturday in May. But it's just a stepping stone on the way there, you know, today. 
But I think he's that kind of horse. Uh, with some blessings, we'll get there. Have you already mapped out a campaign for him all the way to Churchill Downs if everything goes well today? Yes, but we're not going to talk about that right now. We're not going to put the, <laughs> the carriage before the horse. You know, One race at a time. One race at a time, but we already have the plans for him. Talking with trainer Larry Demerit here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. West Saratoga, the grade three Iroquois winner from last year, is making his three-year-old debut in the Pasco Stakes at Tampa Bay Downs from the one hole at odds of nine to five on the morning line, post time 432 Eastern. Uh, Larry, tell me a little bit more about owner Harry Varucci. Uh, Harry, Harry and I go back some ways back. And we had uh, horses with, we had another horse, but I think Harry them thought he was more of a derby horse than I did because he was sprinting. He wasn't right mentally a horse called Darren Pegasus. We done good with him as a two-year-old. And then we came to Gulfstream and run him into Hutchison and didn't do well. So we took him back. But I told him he didn't show me that uh, characteristic of a horse who'd wanted to go two turns, you know. Uh, yep. And Harry and I had really good luck over the years. I trained off and on for him, you know, but uh, just seemed to get decent horses for him for the price we pay, you know. <clears throat> and so, and he's been in the business. He understands the business uh, very well. You know, and that's a good thing uh, when you train for that type of owner. I, I always tell Owners, you know, horses are not like cars. You can't tighten up a screw and make it better overnight. Horses, sometimes they need a little time. Some of them, you know, will come to hand, uh, will be two-year-olds, and then they don't go forward the street. But that's something I always look for in this horse's holding some back so he could mature. I never try to empty him out, get him as fit as he could get as a two-year-old. Because sometimes they go the other way. You know, training horses is like a mountain. You get to the top. Now you got to balance them up top there. So hopefully we on the right track with this horse, whereby we could have him fit for each race he's going to run in. Yep. You know, because there is always something different we do as far as gallops on the track to get him a little bit stronger, get a little more stamina underneath of him, you know. So that's that's the way we uh approaching this with this horse. And uh, with his pedigree, his pedigree said he should go two turns and go long, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, Larry, that's if, another if, thing I've done different with this horse, because everybody always talk about me buying nice two-year-old speed horses. So then I bought him, I said, you know, I'm going to look for a horse with going to stretch out. You know, I bought some speed horse, but I bought a couple of horses. I wanted to train to stretch out. And, and it worked with this horse. I mean, his pedigree, because the Uncle Mo man, he seemed like he's going to be such a good 
good messiah, although he's a good sire overall, Uncle Mo. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> so much come into play with these horses. Yeah. Larry, we are twelve weeks away from the first Saturday in May. And if you can somehow pull this off, coming from the Bahamas to the U.S., and then all the way to the winter circle on the first Saturday in May at Churchill Downs for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, man, how cool would that be? Man, that that will be the ultimate blessing, you know. Uh, I know people don't know, and I, I, I'm just a person of faith, a lot of faith, and I... I just talk to God like I talk to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, and I, there were times when I said, hey, even if I doesn't make it, I still accept whatever uh, comes my way. You know what I mean? But that'll be the ultimate goal is to represent my country. You know, coming from a small little island, uh, that's a cool thing. You know, and, and my dad was being a horse trainer. That, that, to me, will be the ultimate fulfillment. Is getting to the derby. You know, you'll see a lot of you'll see a lot of islanders there that day. If it happens, <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll tell you what, if you can win it, you can have all the champagne you want. Forget about the beer. You can have all the champagne you want if you win the Kentucky <laughs> Derby. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that'll be cool, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? But you know, that's that's the goal. I don't just want to get there. I want to get there with a chance to win. Yeah, you know, it's a big field of horses, and you have to get the right trip. But I like. I won't change my horse for nobody else's horse. I promise you that, because I know he's such a touch button horse. We used to say when he were when we were training before he was before he ever ran, we said this horse has gears and has gears like a race car. He, he whatever gear you ask him to get to, he get to it quick and respond. You could actually see him in the mornings when we worked him. He he will come from just idling to right, right into high gear, you know. So he, he's not a one dimensional horse that. You see some horses, they either got to come from out of it, or you see some, they have to be on the lead, uh, you know, get to get courage to get there. But this horse, you could do anything with him, and he responds. Well, Larry, I hope that he responds very well to Sammy Camacho later this afternoon, and I hope you find yourself in the winter circle at Tampa Bay Downs and things continue to progress the way you want them to with West Saratoga. I really appreciate you taking some time here this morning. It's always fun to catch up, and uh, good luck this afternoon, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about my horse that I care about so much. I love all of them, but, you know, when you got a special one in the barn, uh, like the old man told me one time, he said, Larry, anything you do for bad horses is too much, but you never could do enough for a good one. So it's fun being around those good ones, you know. Yeah, enjoy every minute of it, Larry, and, and good luck over the next couple of months. And when you get to Louisville, we'll talk again then for sure. All right, sounds good. Thank you right, very buddy. much. Trainer Larry Demerit right. here on HRN. Yeah, West Saratoga. What a fun interview. I mean, here's a guy that is really unlikely 
right, to find himself in the winner's circle or, or even to get to the Kentucky Derby. We talk about that a lot. Just getting to the Kentucky Derby is a monumental challenge. And here's Larry Demerit. Hasn't had many opportunities like this, and now he does. And you can hear it in his voice. He's going to make the most of it. He's going to enjoy this. And we'll see how things go for West Saratoga this afternoon and going forward on the road to the Kentucky Derby. When I come back, you're going to hear from the CEO of the NTRA, Tom Rooney. He will join me. We may talk about the Steelers, and we may even talk about a little horse racing, too. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires, download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Experience the excitement of Ontario racing with over $17 million in purses and programs. The Ontario Thoroughbred Improvement Program is loaded with TIP stakes, sales credits, purse bonuses, mare and foal incentives, and awards for both stallions and breeders. Visit tip.ontarioracing.com to learn more. That's tip.ontarioracing.com. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Trying to find that wire, but here comes drum roll, please, in clear pursuit. Drum roll, please, is now up by a half length. It's drum roll, please, with a 16th of a mile to go. It's going to be drum roll, please. And Javier Castellano awarded Derby points. They win the Jerome. Drum roll, please. The son of Darley Stallion Hard Spun earned 10 points on the road to the Kentucky Derby with that three and three quarter length going away victory in the Jerome Stakes and Aqueduct last Saturday. That makes him your Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Darley Stallion Hard Spun. Grade 2 placed last year, Drum Roll Please was one of 26 total stakes performers for Hard Spun in 2023. He stands this year for $35,000. Learn more about Hard Spun and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN. Presented by Twin Spires. They're into the stretch and idiomatic. Now is right alongside. And search results continues to put in a strong bid. Clarier is coming on. A dare matter is there. Desert Dawn and Lodavid on the outside. It's a wide open distance. Idiomatic with another ultra game victory throughout her 2023 campaign. That's the way she ended that campaign. Larry Colmas had the call of the Breeders' Cup distaff on NBC. And what a performance it was. And she was brilliant all year long. Is her resume going to be enough to find Idiomatic among the three finalists for Horse of the Year when those were announced on January 25th at the Eclipse Awards ceremonies in Florida? 
We'll have to wait and see. But, boy, she was really, really good. And the Eclipse Awards just one of many things that the National Thoroughbred Racing Association is going to be involved with here in 2024 and beyond. And Tom Rooney is the CEO of that organization, and he's with me now here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Tom, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to talk some horse racing with you. But first things first, I opened the show by playing the Steelers uh, hype song, Here We Go. And uh, that's I thought it was an appropriate opening considering the Steelers are making their way to a blustery, snowy Buffalo for that game tomorrow afternoon. They're huge underdogs. But uh, being a Rooney, I know what side you're going to fall on. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think that the weather conditions usually, you know, can have a, a positive effect for the home team. I think it certainly will in the Kansas City Dolphins game. But, you know, this, this weather is so bad, uh, uh, apparently, that uh, it, it's definitely going to affect, I think, both teams and, and potentially really have an effect on the passing game. So, I really like the way our, our our running backs have played the last, well, really all year, but, I mean, especially the last few weeks. Um, if it's snowing, if it's really windy, it kind of makes it hard to throw the ball. And so um, I look for Najee and Jalen Warren to hopefully, you know, step up and control the game. That would be uh, – that would not be unforeseeable, you know there's a lot of times where you sort of like hope you get lucky and get a good bounce or something like that. Being, I don't know if we're still 10 point underdogs, which is crazy, but uh, you know, being that we're 10 point underdogs, but having a really good running game and, in, in bad weather situation, bad weather situation. Uh, I, I'm not allowed to bet on the Steelers, but <laughs> I would definitely take that bet. This, yeah, to me, it seems like an, an awful lot of points it, with with any game that's going to be played in those conditions. Ten points for yeah. any two teams that are going to square off in whiteout conditions. I guess if it's going to be like that, if it's going to be blustery and snowy and high winds, I guess it's pretty good that you you got a guy named Rudolph leading the team at quarterback, right? <laughs> yeah, won't you guide our sleigh, Rudolph, please? Yeah, but it is nine and a half right now, by the way, according to uh, what I'm seeing here online. Nine and a half underdogs for the Pittsburgh Steelers tomorrow. Hey, you know what? Good. That's, that's, that's disrespectful. I think to uh, any playoff team and I granted, you know, we blew it against Arizona and new England and, and, and to a lesser extent, the Colts, but uh, I get that. But, you know, when, when you, when you have what we've shown in the last three weeks, uh, you know, I'm reminded a lot of that team. I don't know if it was 05 or 08. The, I, it was the game in Detroit with the bus. You know, I think we had to win like three or four regular season playoff games just to get in. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I have sort of like that feeling again. And I'm not saying, you know, we're going to run the table, but I'm very excited. I'm not just, you know, believe me, if, if, if we sort of snuck in the back door, but we've got a lot of issues and, and this and that and the other. I mean, I think that people in Pittsburgh right now are very hopeful and uh, excited, not, you know, you know, in panic. Normally nine and a half points, you'd be like, this is going to be a blowout, but we shall shall see. (laughs) Tom, 
Rooney joining me here, president or CEO of the NTRA. And, of course, that Rooney name iconic when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers and to the National Football League, one of the, the true great ownership uh, families uh, in any sport of all time. Um, Tom, people will hear the Rooney name and they'll say, okay, there's a million different Rooneys out there. Uh, you have Art Rooney the second. You have all the, the different Rooneys. Walk me through the family tree here for just a minute before we get into the horse racing oh, side of things. <laughs> well, Art, Art's my uh, oldest cousin, and um, you know his dad was Dan, who was ran the show for a while there, and he's also ambassador to Ireland, right? Um, and and then of course uh, his dad, our grandfather, was Art Rooney, who started the team. Um, you know, if, it, it is kind of confusing because. If you go back in our family tree, I mean, the guy that came over from Ireland, I think his name was Art, and his oldest son was Dan, who's my great-grandfather, who had Art the Chief, who had Dan, who had Artie, and Artie's oldest son is Dan, who probably will assume the reins someday. So uh, you're pretty safe if you just say Art or Dan in our family. But, um, yeah, my dad my dad was the youngest of that crew, um, and so – you know, for me, I have 35 first cousins and, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, you know, really their show. And I, I'm just, you know, I just got blessed with a very cool last name and, uh, you know, just a, a very big fan, but, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's like my son got to be ball boy last year. I was ball boy back in the day when I was, I think 16 or 17. So, I mean, we get, we we do get nice things as part of that, but we are a family team. I mean, you know, there's a lot of teams that, um, you know, are owned by uh, people that do other things and, and have the ability to buy into an NFL team. You know, we've only ever done this and horse racing. So they go hand in hand, really. You know, my grandfather would always joke that a lot of times that he would end up having to pay the payroll for the Steelers with what he got from the track. Yeah. Um, for years. So um, the Pittsburgh Steelers really are a product of my grandfather's ability to play the horses. And, um, you know, I'll never forget being, I think I was probably, uh, you know, a young teenager. We went to the track and I, you know, went up to the window. Um, I guess I had to be 18. And, uh, and I was, and he's like, what are you doing? I'm just like, I'm betting. He's just like, you don't know how to bet. Don't bet. You're wasting your money. He's probably <laughs> right. But, but he was very good. I mean, there's, there's stories and I have magazine articles about how, how he was as a horse player and he was nationally known. So, um, you know, so much so that he won enough money to start the team back in 33 and, and then here we are now, um, you know, the team with the most Super Bowls uh, tied with the Patriots. Unfortunately, they probably sold two from us. But, um, you know, and it's just been an amazing ride. So uh, I've, I've been very blessed my whole life. And um, I don't take it for granted what that last name means. And even when I was in Congress and, you know, I always thought about my grandfather and and my uncle Dan and how they conduct themselves and what sort of like the culture of the Steelers is that, you know, I wasn't going to screw anything up in Congress by being some kind of, you know, lunatic politician. So, um, and, and 
the funny thing is, is a lot of my constituents like, why don't you bang on the podium more? I'm like, because that's not me. So (laughs) (laughs) you'll have to elect somebody else. Uh, You know, two great passions for Tom Rooney, the Pittsburgh Steelers and thoroughbred horse racing. And now, as I mentioned, he is the CEO of the NTRA, the National Thoroughbred Racing Association. They are involved with an awful lot of things in the game from the National Handicapping Championship to the Eclipse Awards and a lot of different legislative initiatives that are racing through Washington. So, Tom, I think we've got about six minutes here before I've got to get to a break. I knew we'd spend more time talking about the Steelers than we would the, the horse racing side, but fill me in in six minutes. What's what's going on in 2024 well, with the NTRA? Right right now we've got a lot going on. In Congress, just, uh, you know, as part of our one of our main functions um, we're in this very unique situation. Very, very little, by the way, happens anymore like Schoolhouse Rock, where there's a bill, you know, sitting on Capitol Hill that goes to the House, the Senate, and the President. Now you just sort of try to get your thing attached to something bigger, like a continuing resolution that has to keep the government open. One of the biggest things that we're working on right now, something called tax depreciation, which is huge for our sales owners and breeders, the sponsors that you just played on the intro there, rely heavily on the ability for people that are buying these horses to be able to depreciate the value over a certain term of years or in that year, and the ability to uh, be able to take maybe more risks, um, you know, getting into the game than they would if there wasn't tax depreciation. We're working on that behind the scenes with a committee called the Ways and Means Committee, which does our taxes. And there is a very outside chance that we're able to attach depreciation for the next two years here in the next couple of weeks. And I mean, I know nobody talks about that. They're talking about, you know, all the other big issues of the day. But for those of us in horse racing, that is huge. It's our main focus. We're in constant contact with our people on the ground there to, to make sure uh, that we that that they know the politicians the leadership knows that that's very important to us. Um, so we're working on that, and then of course we'll be working on several other things as the year goes on. But uh, obviously it's a huge week for the Eclipse Awards coming up here in in in, in very short time down at the Breakers in Palm Beach again this year. Uh, it'll be very exciting. Um, and you know, I think it'll be a first class show again, but, um, the, the, the finalists and the nominees and the, and the winners, uh, will be revealed. And, uh, I'm just very excited about this year's, this year's event. And then of course the horse players championship out in Vegas, which is, you know, the preeminent, um, horse players event of the year. Um, you know, we're not quite at a million dollars. We're almost there for the winner. But a lot of times these guys that will have different cards will be able to, I think last year the winner added up to a million dollars. So um, it's a lot of fun and uh, it's a great way to sort of see every angle of our sport. You know, I deal with the pol- the political part, you know, the, the breeders, the owners, the track executives, uh, you know, and then, and then, you know, then at the NHC, I get to hang out with the people like my grandfather who played the horses. And, you know, I probably feel most comfortable around those guys. And so, uh, and, 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 you know, believe me, the people that play the horses have a lot of the best ideas for what's best for our sport and, and how to move our sport forward. Um, so those are all the things that we're working on 
just in the near term. I mean, that's all going to happen before uh, the Derby. So we're going to be very busy in our office. I have an amazing team in Lexington and in Washington. Um, I couldn't be any luckier. And so um, I'm just proud to be part of the NTRA. I'm proud to be doing this for horse racing. We've got a lot of work to do, Mike. You know, there's no doubt about it. We're putting forward this um, campaign called Safety Takes the Lead that's on our website, but we're going to be pushing that more out to the media to talk about the things that people do every day to keep their horses safe and the people that work with these horses every day to show how much love and attention that we do to try to combat some of the negative stories that we hear out there Um, because we can't just be on defense all the time. And, you know, we're also talking about doing – a positive media campaign to promote our sport like other sports do. Like you see them pumping up the Bill Steelers game. Like we need to do more of that in horse racing as well. Yeah. And so we're working on all those things. Those kind of things, Tom, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but those kind of things are so important. And I've been a huge proponent of that going forward. Um, I've got to get to a break here in just a second, but I do want to bring you back on at some point down the road, maybe as we get closer to the Kentucky Derby, and we'll talk more about those initiatives too and, and some of the changes that we're starting to see on that front in thoroughbred racing. Or we can talk about the Steelers uh, Ravens game next week that's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If they win, that's a promise. You can join me on the show again next week, too. We'll do it all over all right. again. Thanks, Mike. Tom, appreciate it. Tom Rooney, uh, CEO of the NTRA, with me here on HRN. I'll get to a break. I'll come back and get you ready for hour number three. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Fans, world-class racing is underway at spectacular Santa Anita. So with special holiday racing on Monday, Martin Luther King Day, come join us for a terrific three-day weekend with first post time at 1230. Monday is also Dollar Day with $1 beers and sodas along with $2 hot dogs. This Saturday is California Cup Day and come early. The first 1,000 fans will get a beautiful free color print of Vox Populi Horse of the Year, Cody's Wish. Horse players, check out our new wagering menu that includes the traditional pick six with a $1 minimum as well as the coast-to-coast pick five. It's a $1 wager with a low 15% takeout that combines races from both Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park. Additionally, our popular $3 all-turf pick three is back, showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new $1 trifectas and rolling pick threes with bigger payouts the order of the day. Santa Anita, it's the great race place. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding, 
Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Gnarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Want to get the latest HRRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Well, if you missed any portion of the first two hours of the program, you missed an awful lot. My conversation with Eclipse Award winner Sean Clancy with Walker Hancock from Claiborne Farm. Larry Demerit was with me to talk about West Saratoga, and then you just heard from Tom Rooney, CEO of the NTRA. And again, Tom going to be back with me next week, if indeed the Pittsburgh Steelers can find a way to upset the Buffalo Bills in snowy Buffalo tomorrow afternoon. Uh, Coming up in hour number three, plenty more great content. I'll tell you about that here in just a minute, but let me give you an update on the poll question this morning. Not surprising with the results here. Uh, Which of today's three-year-old races is more likely to produce a Kentucky Derby starter? 70% of you saying it's the Pasco over the Cal Cup Derby. When I come back, Vance Hansen will share his thoughts on three races to watch later today in this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker will take you on his weekly stroll through racing history, and Dale and Tim will join me for the final segment at 10.30, I Ask, They Answer. If your local station is leaving us at this time, continue listening to the third hour of the program on Sirius 216, XM 204, and streaming worldwide at horseracingradio.net. Hour 3 of the Equine Forum is coming up next, right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Here comes Dynamics by the Sky Commander. The Oxley entry is 1-2 in deep stretch. It'll be a civil war between those two. Dynamic Sky, very impressively. Three parts of a link. Three quarters in one thirteen. Princess of Silmar is now coming on through towards the rail. Here's Princess of Silmar to take the lead with a furlong to the finish. Princess of Silmar in front by three. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Castellano now shakes the reins at Starship Jubilee. The response was instant, and she goes on with it to lead by three. Down the center, beautiful to lover, charging hard in between horses. That's about to recover. Bottle eighth of a mile. She's just too much mare. She's Starship Jubilee. And she's a wrapped-up winner of the Sunshine Millions, Philly and Mare Turf. California Chrome striding away impressively up front. 
California Foam down the center it's Tamarando but it's all California Chrome. They would need to sprout wings to get to him. California Chrome and Victor Espinosa romp in the California Cup Derby. Now, here's Mike Penna. Welcome back. Hour number three of the Equine Forum, barreling into the final furlong, if you will. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you along for the ride again this morning, right up until 11 a.m. Eastern. If you missed any portion of the first two hours of the show or any of our programs we bring your way throughout the week, all you have to do is check out the podcast, and you can do that on our website, horseracingradio.net. You can do that, too, on every podcast platform. And don't forget to follow us on social media at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. We heard some of those race calls coming out of the open to this third hour and California Chrome and Princess of Silmar uh, coming to the forefront there. They won the races we're going to see taking place later today. The Cal Cup Derby won by California Chrome. The Busanda won by Princess of Silmar. We know what they did. They went on to really brilliant careers. So when you think about this particular day or this weekend and being, if you look at it as being a quieter weekend in thoroughbred racing, think about some of the horses that have come through these races over the years that have gone on to do big things. We might be looking at a budding star in some of the races today that don't appear as sexy as, say, the LeCompte or the Risen Star or some of the Derby prep races we're going to see over the next several weeks. But it's going to be a fun weekend regardless. Plenty of wagering opportunities, and nobody knows that better than Vance Hansen, who is with me in just a minute for our Twin Spires triple play. He'll give you three races you can watch and wager at Twin Spires later this afternoon. Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history at 1020. And at 1030, Dale Roman's Tim Wilkin join me for the final segment of the show. It is I Ask they answer and looking forward to that visit and tackling some of the hot topics in the sport today, including their thoughts on which three horses should be finalists for horse of the year. Those were not announced last weekend when the Eclipse Award finalists were announced, but we'll get a chance to get their thoughts on which three horses they feel belong in that conversation. All right. Hour number three begins as we do every single week with the Twin Spires triple play. And Vance Hansen is here. Vance, good morning, my friend. Good morning, Mike. Good to be with you again. Yeah, happy to have you on board, and I'm really looking forward to talking about these races because the three races you have selected for our listeners this morning each uh, showcase big fields and, in my opinion, some wide-open wagering opportunities. So let's kick it off with the fifth race at the fairgrounds. Then we'll go to Oaklawn Race 8 and Oaklawn Race 10 to wrap it up. But the fifth at the fairgrounds features a field of 10. They are all Louisiana breads, and they will go one mile on the turf. How'd you see this one, my friend? Well, in allowance optional claimers like this, I often tend to gravitate more towards those uh, not running for a tag. But uh, I'm going to make an exception in this case because number one, Deer Crossing, I think, has. Uh, Fits this spot really well. Uh, he's been well-managed by trainer Jeff DeLome. He's a seven-year-old. He's only had 20 lifetime starts, but he's got five wins, five seconds, four thirds. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, DeLome is off to a great start at the fairgrounds uh, this meet, winning with three of his first five starters. Now, Deer Crossing was one of the 
few misses he's had so far, but I thought this uh, Greg Gelding ran a credible second uh, early in the meet at this very same level, and he was cutting off of about a two-month layoff that day, and I, I think this is a good spot for Deer Crossing to take a step forward second off the layoff, and uh, he's got uh, James Graham back in the saddle, and, and Graham has fit this horse pretty well in the past, and they've actually uh, won, a, won a similar race at these conditions uh, over the fairgrounds turf last March. So uh, uh, Deer Crossing for me, I think, is uh, is probably going to represent some value here, 9-2 to two morning line. How about the inside post, Vance, going one mile on the turf there at the fairgrounds? Obviously not a concern for you. No, it isn't, and this horse is going to be rallying from behind. And uh, I guess my only main concern is if he, if uh, you know, if he's buried in behind horses or, you know, isn't able to get to the outside to make his rally. I think that's going to be a concern, but that's something I really can't predict ahead of time. But uh, just in general, uh, the inside post isn't going to bother uh, me, especially picking a horse that you know is going to be running late. Yeah, Deer Crossing may be offering a bit more value than some of the others in here at odds of 9-2. to two. Number five, Real City Speed is expected to be the favorite. He's 2-1 to one on the morning line. He's certainly going to vie for the favoritism role. Uh, what do you make of Real City Speed in this spot? Obviously vulnerable. Yeah, he did handily defeat Deer Crossing in that aforementioned uh, race at fairgrounds earlier in the meet, and then he... Then he ran, you know, up the track in the Louisiana Champions Day turf, and you can't, you got to cut him some slack. He's just not that quality of a horse. But I guess the main knock for me for Real City Speed is that he has uh, six wins from 16 starts, but only one other placing. He's kind of a, uh, he blows hot and cold. And if if, if he's going to be a short price, he's almost unreliable but, uh, as far as that's concerned. Yep. Yep. Vance Hansen here with the Twin Spires triple play. He kicks it off with race five at the fairgrounds. He'll go with number one deer crossing at odds of nine to two. The next two races you've selected, Vance, both come from Oaklawn Park. It is race eight and race number 10. Uh, race number eight, a 12 horse field, two also eligible. So we're almost guaranteed to have a big field in here. One mile, an allowance race. Um, what do you think? Who wins this one? Well, I'm... Taking a shot here with number two, Malibu Smart. Uh, this filly was claimed three times last season, all out of maiden races. So there's something about her that has attracted a, a number of connections here. And she really did come on a bit in the fall at Churchill Downs. Uh, finally broke her maiden, running for a $30,000 tag on November 8th. And I, I'm guessing that uh, her... Uh, her improvement had something to do with stretching out around two turns. Now she cut back to a one-turn mile for her allowance debut near the end of the Churchill meet. wasn't very competitive, uh, running fourth, beaten over five lengths as a 26 to one shot. But the form of that race was at least flattered when the winner, Dear Lady, came back to win a second-level allowance. Uh, but uh, in Malibu Smart's defense, uh, she did see a rise in her speed figure in that race, and. Uh, you know, this isn't the toughest field in the world in this uh, entry-level allowance at Oakland. It's probably not as, because of the big field, it might not be quite as uh, strong a spot as the Churchill race was. So Malibu Smart stretching back around two turns, I think, uh, might be a long shot worth looking at. And also, another thing that appealed to me is that this trainer-jockey combo of Chris Hartman and Chris Landoros 
uh, have been really strong at Oakland in recent seasons. You know, very high ROI uh, team here, uh, high win percentage. I think the switch to Landeros might be a tip-off that perhaps Malibu Smart uh, could be much more uh, competitive here. That is one of the great features of the Brisnet past performances, and I'm sitting here staring at them now as you're talking about Malibu Smart, and I do see that when you look at Chris Hartman and Chris Landeros, the jockey-trainer combination in the last 60 days, they are striking at 38% Vance. That's one heck of a win rate. Absolutely. That's uh, some of the highest that you're going to see in this game. So, Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and Chris Hartman. Look at what. How about the start to the Oakland meet for Chris Hartman? Thirty starters, six wins, four seconds, six thirds. So his horses are running. Absolutely, all positive signs for uh, Malibu Smart, and we'll see if she can come through at a nice price here. Okay, that is race number eight at Oaklawn Park. Race number ten at Oaklawn. Another big field. Twelve plus two also eligibles. Another race at one mile. Another allowance race. Nine winners of one other than. Who do you have your eye on here? Well, you brought up California Chrome a little earlier, and I've kind of gravitated here toward a five-year-old son of his named Chrome Baby, who, if he starts here, will break on the far outside. Now, he is cross-centered to another first-level allowance on Sunday, going a mile on the 16th, which has a slightly shorter field. But I think he's a horse that should be looked at not only if he runs here on Saturday, but also on Sunday if he happens to wind up there um, about a year ago or so on the twin spires edge blog i wrote a uh, an article about oakland's entry level allowance races and how they're uh, craftily written to uh, help draw bigger fields and some t- and if you look at the conditions of this race it's for non-winners of twenty-four thousand. other than well if you throw that condition in there you often get horses that are could be termed as overqualified. They've won multiple allowances at other tracks, but just haven't won one with the winner's share of 24000 So the thing that kind of stood out for with Chrome Baby for me is that if you look at his past performances, just the ones that are on the page here, um, you see four allowance wins all in races, of, you know, N2 exit Sam Houston on the turf last February, uh, non-winners at 40, Evangeline last summer, and then back-to-back allowances at uh, Remington this past fall. One, one a third-level allowance, and then one with a that had no conditions whatsoever. And uh, so now this horse is basically in a first-level allowance uh, with uh, four major allowance wins to his credit already in the last year. So uh, I think Chrome Baby is going to be overlooked a little bit. Uh, in the wagering, but I think that could be a mistake just because he's so overqualified uh, uh, based on the nominal conditions of this race. He did throw in a bad race in the stakes at Remington last time. It was in the mud. He wasn't running on Lasix uh, in that race. He gets Lasix back for this uh, spot. So uh, Chrome Baby for me, I think, is a horse that probably uh, deserves a look here uh, at the likely odds. Vance, I have to tell you how much I... I just love that angle that you used where you kind of draw a line through the races that don't necessarily correlate to the conditions he's running in today. And you focused on just those races, those allowance races on the main track that fit 
uh, the similar profile of the race he's going to be competing in. And I think that that's a wonderful way to do it because it kind of gets rid of some of the clutter when you're looking through the past performances, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, it certainly does. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like I said, you know, this horse has been facing a lot more, uh, uh, accomplished horses running in third level allowances, no, no condition allowances. And now he's, uh, you know, running, you know, spot here where, you know, maybe the horse to beat is King Russell who ran second in the Arkansas Derby last spring, but is basically a one X allowance horse to date so far. So he, he's got, he's got a lot more winning experience uh, than that younger rival, if not, uh, the upside. If, Chrome Baby does not run in this race. If he opts for the race on Sunday, is there another horse that you would say would be a good fill-in, if you will, for Chrome Baby as the top pick? Uh, you know, I didn't go after I zeroed in on Chrome Baby. I didn't uh, yeah. you know, actually go that far deep, but I will be. In, obviously, I, I mentioned King Russell a few moments ago. I will be interested to see. Uh, how that horse has progressed because I think he's going to get a lot of attention just having run second in Oakland's biggest race last spring. And uh, we'll see how well he does off on the long way off. Vance, there's a, uh, item, if you will, in the Brisnet past performances called prime power. And it's a number that each horse has associated with their resume. Uh, prime power for Chrome baby is one thirty two point three in this race. That is ranked first among all of the contenders, Explain what that number is and how folks can use it when they're handicapping the races with the Brisk Pass performances. Uh, well, Prime Power is a proprietary uh, algorithm, basically, uh, that uh, that analyzes every race and ranks horses uh, according to the algorithm's uh, criteria. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously, the higher the number, the higher the ranking. Uh, you know, the more likely the uh, Bristnet Prime Power Program uh, thinks uh, that the best chance, the horse's chances are uh, very good. And oftentimes, when you have a horse ranked high in the Prime Power, uh, you can find some ac- you can find some value. Uh, you know, the horse's odds are, are a bit higher than what the Prime Power suggests they should be then that's a horse that uh, better should probably take a closer look at uh, as far as a, a value wager. Yeah, it's another check mark in the book of Chrome Baby, at least if you're leaning toward Vance's top pick in this race. So here you go. Uh, race five at the fairgrounds. Vance will kick it off with number one, Deer Crossing. Race eight at Oaklawn, number two, Malibu Smart. And race 10 at Oaklawn, he'll go with number 12, Chrome Baby, that is the Twin Spires triple play for this Saturday morning, and you can bet all three of those races any way you like. Just make sure you're doing it at Twin Spires. Vance, they, uh, those sound like some pretty good picks to me. We'll see if they can come through for our listeners later today. Sounds good, Mike. We'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it, my friend. Vance Hansen here on HRRN. Again, just bet those races at Twin Spires. When I come back, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history and still to come. Dale and Tim, I ask, they answer. That's coming up at 1030 Eastern. Stay tuned. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. 
Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of grade one winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century as his third dam is broodmare of the year weekend surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect four for four season with an emphatic victory in the historic grade one Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Happy Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the grade one. Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs. Happy Saver. Think about it. There's a corner of Kentucky in Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darling grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hello, I'm Kurt Becker. Thanks for joining me as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. He was a horse which loved Saratoga Racecourse, and the fans at Saratoga loved him. They named a sports bar after him. They named a city street in his honor. Our own Tim Wilkin has named him as one of his personal favorites. His name was Four Star Dave. Fold on April 2nd, 1985 in New York, Four Star Dave was a chestnut colt, later gelded by Compliance out of Broadway Joan by Boldarian. His sire stood in New York and was a son of the great northern dancer, while his mother was an unraced mare which had sold at public auction in the paddock at Belmont Park for $2,500. Richard Bomsey, publisher of a sports betting periodical on Long Island, was the man who bought Broadway Joan that day, and he bred her to compliance since he owned a share in that particular stallion. The resultant foal was four-star Dave, named after an employee of Bomsey's who, when he spotted a particular game or sports matchup that he liked, would call it a four-star event. Sent to Irish native Leo O'Brien for training, four-star Dave enjoyed a successful campaign as a juvenile in 1987, winning on debut at Belmont Park and winning stakes at both Saratoga and Finger Lakes. It was a sign of things to come, as four-star Dave would enjoy great success in New York throughout his career, especially at Saratoga. Yet it's worth noting that one of the biggest wins of four-star Dave's career came not in New York, but in Minnesota. The date was June 26, 1988, 
and four-star Dave was a three-year-old. The track was Canterbury Park. It would mark the only time in his 100 career starts that four-star Dave would race at a Midwestern venue. The race was the Grade 2 St. Paul Derby at a mile and an eighth on the dirt for a purse of $300,000. Tony Bentley gives us the call. Four-star Dave on the outside. Foolish intent, three lengths back. The favorite is dropping back out of it. Down the stretch now in the St. Paul Derby. Four-star Dave. And for the gold at 50 to 1, is hanging in on the inside. Can he get there? By the eighth pole now, these two are At odds of 21 to 1 and paying $45 on a $2 mutual ticket, four-star Dave had upset the St. Paul Derby for what would be the biggest purse and the only ranking of grade two or higher among his 21 career victories. At the time, O'Brien said, he's an improving horse. We believe his best races are still ahead of him. O'Brien was correct. There would be four more graded stakes wins to come as four-star Dave would eventually become a graded winner on both dirt and turf. He would win a total of 13 stakes races in his career, with those wins coming at six tracks in four states. At one point, he would rank as the richest New York bred of all time. But there is no doubt that Saratoga was where four-star Dave became a superstar. It was Saratoga where four-star Dave won at least one race for eight consecutive years from 1987 through 1994. It was at Saratoga that he notched nine wins total, including six stakes victories. It was at Saratoga where they named a graded stakes after him. The city of Saratoga Springs named a street after him and gave him an edible key to the city. It was on the backstretch at Saratoga where he was laid to rest upon his passing at the age of 17 in 2002. And it was at Saratoga where fans nearly 13 years after his death voted to name a sports bar after him in 2015. Bomsey admitted that his horse had become a cult figure at Saratoga. Journalist Bill Finley asked, what other horse has ever run eight straight years at Saratoga, much less won for eight straight? Jockey Richard Migliori said, quote, I've never been around a horse so popular and with so much charisma. It's a wonderful experience to ride him and be part of the atmosphere, end quote. Stephen Christ, noting that four-star Dave had won each year at Saratoga from age two through age eight, said that four-star Dave had found his fountain of youth in Saratoga Springs. Steve Haskins said that at Saratoga, four-star Dave was a good horse, which became a great horse. Finley, writing in the New York Daily News said, four-star Dave is the grand old man of Saratoga, venerable, charismatic, and loved. Better horses have raced at the historic spa, but perhaps none is more special than Four Star Dave. On the occasion of Four Star Dave's final victory in July of 1994, Tom Durkin was at the mic, and we close with the words from his stretch call that day. Four Star Dave is one furlong away from eight years of Saratoga victories, declared Durkin. Here's the old boy coming down to the line He's making a runaway of it. The legend lives on. Four-star Dave wins again at the spa. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker.
And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Dale Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. Warfront. This son of Danzig ranks among the world's elite sires. Ranked number one by percentage of stakes winners, graded stakes winners, and grade one winners. No stallion has a better strike rate. Warfront is the sire of over 100 lifetime stakes winners, including some of the sport's most talented runners both at home and abroad. They're stopping! War Bomber in front. War Bomber's won the King Edward. SEAL Team takes the lead. SEAL Team! Warfront, standing at Claiborne Farm. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. On the outside now, it's Temperance Hill with Codex. Those four now vying for the lead. Rock Hill native on the rail has the lead by a neck. Genuine risk on the outside, moving on the leader. Farther out is Temperance Hill. They're into the stretch, three across the track. Genuine risk between horses on the outside. Temperance Hill on the rail. It's Rock Hill Native. Those three continue to fight for the lead. Rock Hill Native on the rail has a narrow lead of ahead. Genuine risk on the outside. Genuine risk now takes the lead by a nose. Temperance Hill is right there. Temperance Hill now takes the lead. It's Temperance Hill, Arkansas Derby winner, taking the lead, going off by two. The Philly Genuine Risk is second, and Rock Hill Native third. Temperance Hill in front. Marshall Cassidy with the call of the 1980 Belmont Stakes, won by Temperance Hill for trainer Joe Canty, who passed away this week at the age of 82. Coming up, Dale and Tim remember Joe Canty and look back on some of his top horses. Plus, did jockey Javier Castellano receive the biggest Eclipse Award snub of all time? And does racing need to do more to protect horses and jockeys during morning training? Those topics and much, much more are straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin. And it's all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu equine. 
On last week's show, guys, we spent a lot of time talking about the different Eclipse Award categories and whether or not we thought certain horses would make it into the mix. And now we know the finalists for the 2023 Eclipse Awards. They were announced on Saturday. And except for Horse of the Year, that's the only category that will not be announced until the actual Eclipse Award ceremony on January 25th. My question to you is, which three horses should be named as Horse of the Year finalist when that is announced later this month? Timmy, what do you think? This is going to be a very interesting um, reveal, I think, because there's only three spots and there's four, maybe five horses that are deserving to be in there. I mean, Cody's Wish, my three were Cody's Wish, White Abario, and Idiomatic. I didn't. I left out up to the mark who, you know, the turf horse who, you know, a lot of people were thinking if he had won the uh, turf, he would have been the horse of the year. But, um, you, you know, the Cody's Wish story, because of the backstory, and some people might think I'm, think I'm wrong on this, but the story itself, the backstory is something that's going to get him into the top three. And also he, you know, he repeated as the uh, Dirt Mile winner, and he won three grade ones. I mean, Idiomatic won eight of nine for Brad Cox, three grade ones, won the, the Distaff of the Breeders' Cup. Um, I think she has to be one of the finalists. I don't know if she'll get horse of the year because she didn't face males. And White Abario, the Breeders' Cup Classic and the Whitney winner, won three of five. I mean, you can you can make a case for all these horses, but you can also punch holes in each of them too. But the, for the for my three, I'm saying Cody's Wish, Idiomatic, and White Abario, and someone's going to be disappointed uh, they're not in it and up to the mark is going to be the one that it's disappointed for my ballot. And, you know, some people might've thought elite power, the sprint repeat sprint winner could have gotten some, uh, some, some juice to be in the finalists, but uh, those five, but the three I had were Cody idiomatic and white Abario. It's a tough category. It is tough this year, but I think it's a match race. I think it's Cody's wish or, White Abario, um, I would put up to the mark my third if I had to put a third, but I think it's a match race. I think one of those two horses is going to win it. Uh, I, my personal is White Abario. I mean, he beat Cody when they went head-to-head. I know it was around two turns, but he did beat him, and he won the Whitney, and he won the the Classic in a, an impressive way. So I think it's White Abario's race to lose, but I think it's a match race. We're going to find out what voters how much stock they put into the head-to-head matchup. Dale, you bring up a great point that White Abario beat Cody's Wish on the square, and that carries a lot of weight when you're talking about a wide-open field like this, doesn't it? I think it does. I think it does, and I think if you if you put them all in the same race, going to mile the 16th even, I think that who's going to be the favorite? Be White Abario. But Cody did beat him in the Met Mile. I know it's the mile, but uh, yeah, that, that that race does carry weight. I just think you should should weight two turn horses a little a little better in this in the horse of the year. I really want to get idiomatic into the mix like Timmy did, but Timmy, it, without her facing males at some point during that brilliant campaign last year, it's hard to include her as horse of the year. Oh, I agree, uh, but I put her in my top three. Um, it was either for me, it was either her or up to the mark. And the thing that pushed me to her side was that she won a race on Breeders' Cup Day. 
which is the day. And, you know, uh, up to the mark, ran great in the turf. He just didn't win. That's true. But if you, if you just go with who is the best horse of last year, I think it's White Barrio. He was the best horse on two days for sure. Yep. After Dutro took over. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I mean, I can't remember the last time there was this much discussion about who was going to be horse of the year. Usually it's a slam dunk, isn't it? Usually there's somebody that's been very dominant, an older horse, but yeah, you're right. Do you think we'll ever a see a year where the horse of the year is a sprinter like elite power? That's uh you never say never. You never say never, but I don't think there should be. I think it's a I think that I like classic two turn racing. I think it's the best of and shows the best horses. I mean, I think for a sprinter to win, you'd have to have a sprinter that absolutely dominant, and then you have uh, a, a year of alphabet soup in the the older horse division in two turns where everyone was beating everybody else. But uh, um, for some reason, sprinters don't get the big-time recognition that sometimes they deserve. Well, again, those finalists for Horse of the Year will be announced at the Eclipse Awards ceremonies January 25th. That is the only category where we do not know the three finalists. Topic Mike, number who two. Who three finalists? I had Cody's Wish, Elite Power, and White Abaria. Wow, okay. So you did put the sprinter in there. I did. Yep. Again, okay. if Idiomatic had squared off against the boys, I would have leaned her direction, but she did not. So I went with Elite Power. Okay. Yep. Topic two comes via email from Craig in Boynton Beach, Florida. And again, we love hearing from our listeners. So if you have a topic you want Dale and Tim to debate here on the show, email that topic to me, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and we will work it in in the weeks ahead. But Craig wants to know, he said, listen, it's certainly no surprise to see Alex Concepcion's name among the finalists for Apprentice Jockey, but Craig does question whether or not it's right for him to be included considering his two 30-day suspensions for careless riding, both of which resulted in rival horses falling. And he's very concerned that rewarding Axel um, as a finalist could validate his careless, careless techniques and set a bad precedent. Dale, what do you think? Your thoughts? No, I don't think they were malicious. I don't think he did it on purpose by any means. And he got punished. He got his days. I don't think you could take away from the rest of the year that he had. He ended up missing a lot of time on his bug because of those accidents, and he still had a great year. I, to me, he's still the Eclipse Award-winning apprentice rider. He's a good guy. He didn't mean to do him. And you have to give a little leeway to these apprentice jocks. You know, I put Axel on top for my on my uh, for the apprentice. I mean, the kid when he's he's eighteen years old. And I'm not saying that uh, you know he. He, yeah, as Dale said, he didn't do it on purpose. He's a young rider. He made two big mistakes, and unfortunately, in one of those incidents, the horse died. Um, but I, the guy did, you know, he had over 1,000 mounts. He had about 200 wins. Um, there's a talent there. Yeah, he's, he's going to learn from these mistakes. And unfortunately, these, these are the kind of mistakes that, uh, you know, really get amped up in the public eye because of, you know, the way the, the game is now and everybody 
is quick to, you know, uh, rip into somebody for a mistake. Um, he's not out there trying to hurt anybody. I don't think any rider is, and including Irad Ortiz. He's not out there trying to hurt people. They're aggressive riders. And, you know, when they're, you're, you're riding for bread on the table, you know, you have to be aggressive. Um, but I don't think that this, those two incidents, as bad as they were, within a week of each other, should cost him an eclipse. I mean, he did have a good year overall. That's an interesting point. I guess if you were going to take the stance that he shouldn't be included as an apprentice jockey because of those two suspensions, then you'd have to look at Arad Ortiz Jr. and the tremendous year he had. He's an aggressive rider. He had his fair share of suspension issues, and you'd have to say, okay, he can't be included as champion jockey, which just sounds ridiculous to me. Absolutely does. Yeah. And I would hold it more against a journeyman, though, that's rough riding instead of was just a little bit careless. And it was unfortunate the way the incident's unplayed. But it's a good question. It's something to think about. It was a, it was a very good question when I read the script today. Believe it or not, I read the script. <laughs> but uh, it, it got me thinking a little bit. So that's one of the questions I did think on. It wasn't just off the cuff. I think the kid you- deserves the Eclipse Award. Yeah, as a trainer, would you keep a guy off of a horse after incidents like that? Uh, there's, there's, there's one jock out there that I've kept off a lot of horses because I think he's kind of careless, right? And I won't mention his name, but not a kid like uh, Axel. That and, I, and him and I sat out at lunch one day and talked about it. And he was, you know, he he hated that it happened. He was remorseful about it, and he did his time. He didn't fight it, and didn't. You know, he went and did his days, and it cost him a lot because, uh, you know, you only have your bug once, and it cost him a lot of time sitting on the sidelines. That's, that's dead time. You don't get you don't get your bug back for those days you miss. Because was, he was going to move to Kentucky, and he, that cost him some time in Kentucky, correct? It cost him almost the entire meet at Churchill. I think he got to ride the last weekend or something. And Yeah, he was there working horses every morning, doing what he had to do to try to get better and make sure those things don't happen. Let me float this idea by you guys. We don't have a jockey school or any kind of minor leagues where riders, young riders, can learn and develop their skills before they start riding in the afternoons on the big stage. Um, Is that something that's needed? I know Chris McCarron had his jockey school for several years, but that's no longer in existence. Is, Is that something that the sport should look at and consider some type of either minor league program or some type of educational program where riders can learn, make their mistakes in a safe environment. And then when they get to the actual races in the afternoons, they're polished and you hope that those things don't happen. Like we saw with Axel. In a perfect world, you'd have a riding school. Yes. And you know, I've thought a lot of times if I had a, a kid that was dead set on being a jockey, I might send him to Panama or Puerto Rico to the school to try to learn. They could learn Spanish and riding both at the same time. And I only know of one person that ever left the U.S. and went down there. I think that was uh, Ibar Coa's son. I think he went to Panama to learn to be a jockey and, and went to the Lafitte Pincas school. But it would be great to have one here. I guess it's just not economically feasible. Right. I mean, you got, you know, if someone were to go to a jockey school, it's, it's not like you can open the doors up and say, come on in for free. And I don't know how many of these kids coming growing up have the, the the means to pay the money for that and um I, frankly i don't know if there's anybody in the u.s that would want to start one of these chris mccarran did an awesome job with his 
Um, and it's too bad it isn't around anymore because, you know, I talked to several people that have gone through it and they just raved about it and what they learned. And, you know, there's, but they also say there's nothing like learning, like you learn by experience. And, you know, that's a lot of these guys get thrown in the fire right off and they start, start in the mornings and they, they go from there, but it's, you know, sure, it would be. I think it would be very advantageous if there was some kind of school or a minor league kind of deal. But I don't know where it would come from. Just some way for young you know, riders to learn their craft before they start riding in the afternoons. You know, to make their mistakes in a safer environment somehow, some way. I know when you're dealing with animals, it's it's very difficult. But to come up with some type of protocol for young riders to to go through, whether it's a school or whether it's just um, a, a a morning teaching sessions that they have to go through? I I don't know. Most of them do go through morning teaching. It's usually they start at a training center or farm on horses that are being broken. Uh, Like Chris Antley, he came from where I break all my horses in South Carolina, Frank Smith's Ellery Training Center. They usually start at a training center someplace. Then they come to the racetrack and work for somebody. And there's a lot of protocol. They have to be okayed by the outriders. They have to go to the gate and they watch uh races with the starters and then they have to be approved from the gate so it's not like they just show up and become jockeys there is a protocol in place but there's okay. not an actual school that they go to all right, well, how many of them start as exercise riders well uh, even almost all exercise riders start on a farm somewhere hardly anybody starts yeah. i don't know if anybody started right on a racetrack you know, you start riding on the farm for somebody, a training center where there's not as much action, and then you move to the racetrack. Well, Craig, that is a great question, and we really appreciate you taking time to email the show with that question. Again, if you have a question you want Dale and Tim to debate here on the program, email it to me, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and we will get it worked in in the weeks ahead. Time now to say hello to our good friend Nick Zito, and you tell me if the following statement is right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? All right. I wonder what Nikki would think of this one. Last week, we debated the possibility of jockey Javier Castellano winning the Eclipse Award for champion jockey, and it was a very real conversation. I think all of us thought that he was deserving of being in the conversation. I mentioned that I gave him my top vote over Erod Ortiz Jr. Surprisingly, the Hall of Famer didn't even find himself among the three finalists when those were announced last Saturday. Guys, did the voters get this one right or wrong? What do you think? Right or wrong? Dale? 100% wrong. I mean, I don't know how that could happen. I think, uh, I, I mean, how could it happen? This guy had a great year and won two legs of the Triple Crown. He definitely should have been nominated. I don't know if he would have won if he could have beaten Ired, but I can't believe that he wasn't on the list. Like you say, he even got your top vote. And you, yep. you made a very compelling case for him to win. I had him in my top three, for sure. I had him second. Um, I was absolutely shocked that he didn't make the final three. I mean, when you win the Derby and the Belmont Travers, the Jockey Club Gold Cup, um, that, that is one heck of a year. You know, the you look at the the three finalists, it's Irad, Tyler Gaffleone, and um, Flavian Pratt, who all had great years, but it seems like a lot of the voters just look at the stats and, and they pick the top three in earnings, and those were the top three in earnings. You know, I, there, are, there are different intangibles I think you have to deal with when you talk about having the best year. 
And if you're going to tell me that Javier Castellano didn't have one of the best years as a jockey on the track, I'm going to call you crazy because he definitely deserves to be in the top three. I don't know if he would have beat Irad like Dale said because I picked I I picked Irad to win it, but to, to not have Javier in the top three is just um, insane. I'd say the biggest Eclipse Award snub of all time. Got to oh, rank up. Uh, that's that, that saying something. I'd have to go back and start looking that up. But <laughs> yeah, I, it, I know. <laughs> There's some more research for you, Tim. You like research. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'll spend all afternoon on this one. But, uh, you know, it's of all time, I don't know if I go that far. But it, it, it's certainly one that's uh, uh, a head-scratcher and an eye-opener because Javier Castellano had a fantastic year and should have been rewarded as being one of the top three. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We'll bring Nick Zito back again next week for that right or wrong segment on I Ask, They Answer. But we move on to two more topics before we wrap up with Dale and Tim making their final point of the week. And, guys, this one, kind of a downer subject, if you will, because tragedy struck again this past week with training accidents at both Fairgrounds and Belmont Park. At Fairgrounds, grade one winner two Emmys was euthanized after being sideswiped by another horse at the quarter pole. And at Belmont, you had Nashua Stakes winner Where's Chris colliding with multiple stakes winner or with multiple winner Constitution lawyer near the seven-eighths pole. Accidents, as we know, can occur in any situation, whether it's in racing or it's in life. But should our sport be doing more to ensure the safety of horses and riders during morning training? And, Dale, I'm going to come to you first on this one. I don't know what else it can do. I mean, it looks like chaos on the racetrack when you watch horses train, but it's pretty much organized chaos. we got three outriders sitting out there that, that on the ponies that, that they will get on somebody. If you're jogging, you have to be going, you, you know, you jog the wrong way. If you're galloping, coming the right way, it, it's uh, from the rail out on how fast you're going. Uh, you got rules and times that you can jog the wrong way. You can't gallop the wrong way. And there's veterinarians out there every day watching the horses train. I mean, these are animals and things happen. I mean, it's very unfortunate. The good thing is they're very rare. We just had to have, happen to have two, two high profile ones this week, but that that's it's a rare situation because it is organized chaos out there and they do everything they can the riders have have to wear their helmets they have to wear protective vests and uh you know we're talking about the jockeys earlier if if, if an outrider sees a rider they don't think is is should be on the racetrack yet they'll rule them off they'll tell them you got to go back to the farm and learn how to ride better before you come back to the racetrack you know i've thought about this question since i read it and i don't know what else there is they could do yeah. You know, it's, again, it's, this is part of the game that, uh, that, that is unfortunate. I mean, if you're going to, you're not going to be able to, the way animals are, you don't know how they're going to react to different things. And, you know, there's, there's always a sense of unknown of what, what an animal is going to do on, on the track. Uh, If I was going to think of anything that might that I might want to change. Maybe you limit how many horses can be on the track at one time. If that means maybe the training hours go longer, so be it. If, if, if they think that might be something that could bring more safety to, tra- to training, maybe that's something. Um, 
you know, because I've been at racetracks when you, it looks like there's a hundred horses or more on the track at, at one time, and you know that's an invitation for disaster. And thank God it doesn't happen more. But um, maybe to to in, increase the training hours to maybe noon. I mean, I know you're racing at one o'clock, but maybe you, you, you move the post time back a little bit. But if it's something for safety, I think that maybe something like uh, limiting how many horses can be on the track at, the, at one time, maybe that would be something they could look into. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, what they could do. I know, you know, at triple crown time, they do have a special period yes. of, of the day that only Derby or Preakness or Belmont horses or, or the, Oaks horses can train, and I don't know if it's helping up. But that was almost a major accident prepping for the Derby one year. Is why they changed that. A horse got loose and almost ran into a Derby horse. And, right. But then you got to tell somebody you got to train at this time and another one at that time. You know, we have we have two breaks at almost every racetrack you go to, so you're on a freshly heralded racetrack, so the racetrack's safe. Things are going to happen, but they happen on the racetrack. They also happen in the fields and on the farms and. uh and horses run through, run into each other out in the field, or they run through the fences, and, and things just happen. Dale, I don't does, think you're Tim's, ever going to get it down to zero. Does Tim's idea have any legs? Is it possible in any way to to space it out more so that you have fewer horses on the track throughout the morning, but still get the same number of horses training each and every morning? I don't know. I don't, I've heard people talk about it before, but I don't know how it would work and how the logistics would work on that. It would seems like we got enough rules right now, but it, believe me, it, it was just, it was two freak accidents. It just happened to happen the same week. Yep. There's yep. a and lot it, to put into keeping it, keeping it safe out there. Yeah. It's a topic that right. leads to this conversation. I think it's an important conversation and our condolences going to the connections of each and every one of those horses. And thankfully the riders of those horses were all okay. Yep. For sure. Right. One final topic. And this one involves trainer Joe Canty, who passed away last week at the age of 82. Canty trained Temperance Hill to a victory over Genuine Risk in the 1980 Belmont Stakes and won numerous great stakes races with Cox's Ridge and Majesty's Prince. Guys, what things come to mind when you hear the name Joe Canty and you think about those brilliant horses that he conditioned? Timmy, you want it first? Yeah, I I remember 1980 was the... The first year I was on the backstretch, um, I was working at the Saratogian newspaper, and you know I didn't know. Uh, I mean, I was I didn't know the difference between a quarter pole and a flagpole, but I was uh, I was out on the backstretch, and Joe Canty, I met him, and you know he had the big horse Temperance Hill, who shocked the world when he won the Belmont at fifty three to fifty three to one, um, beat the beat genuine risk, so he became a go-to guy for me for that, that first, that first summer. And he couldn't have been nicer to me. And, you know, I'm sure he knew I was a greenhorn and, but he, he accepted all my questions. Many, maybe some of them were, maybe all of them he thought were stupid, but uh, he was a good guy. And, you know, when then he won the Travers, he didn't, he didn't go off 53 to one. I think he paid nine bucks, but uh, you know, he temperance Hill, one of those horses, those throwback horses of that time, that he had 17 starts that uh, that his three-year-old season. Um, when he won the Belmont, it was his ninth start. But he was just a very good horseman. And you know, with the, the the when he won the Travers and the, the Belmont, those are the only times he ever started a horse 
in either one of those races. And he retired early. He went back to South Carolina. Um, just uh, he figured I he got he did what he wanted to do in New York, and I think he retired in '87. And he was just a class guy. And um, you know, uh, I'll always uh, be thankful for the way he treated me when I went, went to speak with him my first year on the barn area. Yeah, I never got to meet him, but uh, I tell you, it shows you the impact of the game when people are still talking about you and you haven't been around for thirty years. He, uh, you know, not a day goes by out there on the track, or not a day, but sometime during a meet, somebody will bring up a story about something he did with a horse that was really good. I was always, as a kid, a fan of Cox's Ridge and ended up training quite a few of his offspring, ended up being a great sire. And not to mention his wife was Chelsea Canny. They, they mm-hmm. were a good team that worked together, went on to be a, one of the first great analysts of, of horse racing. So I know probably the first female analyst in horse racing. What a good job she did. But everybody that knew him seemed to really like him and, and always talked about how well he took care of his horses and what a good horse trainer he was. Yeah, you know where I he was spending his time him. recently? He was living in South Carolina, Camden, South Carolina, and his Hermitage Farm Shooting Sports Gun Club is where he was spending a lot of his time. And people might not realize that as good of a horse trainer that he was, uh, Joe Canty is also a member of the Sporting Clay Hall of Fame. So he was pretty good with a gun, too. I didn't know that. That's just that's something I didn't. I'll ask Sugar about it tomorrow. I think they were friends. Yeah. Yep. Well, Joe Canty remembered on this Saturday morning, and he will be missed in his contributions to the sport and to other sports, by the way, uh, certainly going to be remembered. All right, it is that time of the show where Dale and Tim make one final point before we wrap things up. And, Timmy, why don't you take it first this week, my friend? I see that uh... – Churchill Downs is up the purse the Kentucky Derby to five million smackaroos. That's uh, uh, an increase of over oh, oh, since it was three million the last few years. And I'm just starting to wonder how long will it be before the Derby is worth ten million dollars? Just wondering. Michael yeah, Holy wants be it to some... be tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, well, it's worth a lot more than ten million dollars for if you win it. Believe me, that. But uh, they can have if I ever won one, they can have the purse. Just give me that little trophy. <laughs> um, that's it. Huh? Just give you the trophy. Yeah, well, that, that's enough for me, and I might hang it up. But uh, I want to take my moment and tip my hat to the outriders since we're talking about safety, and a lot of people don't even know they're out there or who they are. But they're the guys that ride around on the ponies and monitor the racetrack and keep everything safe. And if you've ever seen a good outrider catch a loose horse, there's no telling how many of these incidents could take place if it wasn't for them out there. It's a dangerous job. It's a very important job, and they're an unsung hero of our game, and I just want to tip my hat to them. Yep, so many good ones out there, and they protect so many of the horses and the other riders that we see out there each and every week and every morning on the racetrack. They do a great job. Guys, I really appreciate it. Um, good takes on the show here this morning. We're going to do it all over again next week. Enjoy the weekend. All right, Talk to you later. If you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, email that topic to me, Mike, at horseracingradio.net, and I will work it into the program for you. I Ask the Answer is presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. 
Dan's World Class Racing is underway at Spectacular Santa Anita. So with special holiday racing on Monday, Martin Luther King Day, come join us for a terrific three-day weekend with first post time at 12.30. Monday is also Dollar Day with $1 beers and sodas along with $2 hot dogs. This Saturday is California Cup Day and come early. The first 1,000 fans will get a beautiful free color print of Vox Populi Horse of the Year, Cody's Wish. Horse players, check out our new wagering menu that includes the traditional pick six with a $1 minimum as well as the coast-to-coast pick five. It's a $1 wager with a low 15% takeout that combines races from both Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park. Additionally, our popular $3 all-turf pick three is back, showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new $1 trifectas and rolling pick threes with bigger payouts the order of the day. Santa Anita, it's the great race place. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony's Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony's Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. <laughs> Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Don't forget there's still time to take advantage of the Blood Horse Magazine winter special offer. Right now, when you subscribe to the Thoroughbred Industries premier monthly magazine, you will receive a 2024 Blood Horse calendar. That's a $24.95 value, and it's absolutely free. Here's what you do. You go to bloodhorse.com slash HRRN today, and you can take advantage of of that special offer. Good stuff from Dale and Tim. Some really fun topics to talk about here this morning. I do believe Javier Castellano not making it into the top three for leading jockey is maybe the biggest Eclipse Award snub of all time. What a year Javier had, and that's taking nothing away from the three that made it, but Javier was deserving of being in the mix. My thanks to all of our guests for making this show possible here this morning, including Vance Hansen with the Twin Spires Triple Play. You heard from Kurt Becker with the Stroll Through Racing History and Dale and Tim in the previous segment, among so many other great guests. If you missed any portion of the show, head to the website, horseracingradio.net, to check out the podcast, and you can do that on every podcast platform as well. My thanks to everyone for tuning in here this morning. My thanks to my producer, Lee Delapina in our Lexington studios, and to Chauncey for handling all of our social media. I'm Mike Penna, and yes, I'm boycotting all Buffalo Wings this weekend. Go Steelers! <laughs>